Are you ready? This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's up, folks? My Take Radio, episode 69, for Thursday, December 9th, 2010. The intro music you just heard was The Omen of Genova. The artist is Neko Frog 1, N-E-K-O Frog, the number one. You can download that and any of the other previous intro music from ocremix.org. The letter O, the letter C, remix.org. The call-in number is 347-324-3541. Again, that call-in number is 347-324-3541. All right, let's break it up with some housekeeping first. Of course, today is the last day for your Splatterhouse Contest entries. I have gotten a couple of entries, very nice and neat and notable ones, so to speak, but once again, a little... I don't want to say I'm a little disappointed with, with, with the fans, especially the artistic and creative ones, but um, definitely expected a higher turnout in relation to that. So it is what it is, though. Top five entries will get shirts, and um, whatever we get from there will be handled differently in regards to contests. I'm not going to go and beat it to death because it's fucking pointless. fact of the matter is, uh, any entries that come in this evening will be considered until, of course, tomorrow. I don't need any entries tomorrow, and the winners will be announced uh, next week for next week's broadcast. Of course, as always, you can check out content from our content partners, This Week in Wrestling and MMA Valor on MyTakeRadio.com, as well as posts from Ant, Slick, Andrea, myself, and Josh. Um, one of the things that got put up earlier this week, of course, was the trailer for Transformers 3, which I will be discussing as well. Um, in addition to that, of course, we got the Facebook fan page slowly creeping up to 550 fans. Um, nice uh, message I got today on the fan page from Gavin, one of our fans in the UK, who is trying to bring in more of his friends in England to listen to my take radio. Definitely a shout-out to Gavin, a.k.a. Captain Hands. Thanks for the support. Um, nonetheless, you can always, if you haven't become a fan, head over to facebook.com slash mytakeradio. Needless to say, I am instituting something new in the forums, which you, if you haven't been there lately, I recommend you do go in there. And I wasn't going to mention it on the show, but I figured I would just in case. Um, starting January 1st, and I will be reviewing accounts December 31st. If your account is inactive for 30 days, um, I will be deleting your profiles. doesn't make any sense for you to sign up for a forum, never use it, and just be there. Uh, it's fucking stupid. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through the accounts. If you do want to keep your account active, you know, a couple of posts a month, whatever, will keep your accounts active and not no bullshit like first or yeah or bump or any of that stupid shit. 
the fact of the matter is that you're, you're, if you don't use your account, plain and simple, in 30 days, then obviously you don't have shit to contribute to the fucking forum, and as such, your shit's going to get deleted. But, you know, I'm sure some of you guys are a little annoyed at the tone in that, but it doesn't make any sense. You know, the community set up for you guys to use it. Um, there's ample conversation in there. I actually had somebody tell me that, well, not enough people post stuff. And my response to that particular person was, then why the fuck aren't you posting? Why aren't you starting a conversation? Are you fucking mute? Are your fingers broken? No. The forum, Facebook, all that shit is set up, not just for presence for the show, but presence to, you know, to allow you, you know, it's present to allow you guys to communicate, to meet other people that share your same interests, whether it's based on just a show or whether you like wrestling or MMA or video games or gadgets or any of that shit. That's why it's there. I, somebody else says to me, well, you know, you guys got that comment system set up so, you know, people can communicate via the comments. Well, guess what the fuck no one's doing? Using the comments. They're there. No one uses them. People read the stuff, which is great, and I, and I love it, and I appreciate each and every one of you that does. But again, you know, if you like an article, do yourself a favor and do the author a favor and let them know, hey, I liked it. Hey, I didn't like it. Hey, I agree. Hey, I disagree. Fuck you. This article sucks. Something. But, you know, help the rest of the MTR staff, you know, help them in realizing that you like their stuff. It, it's that simple. It's like anything else. You know, the same way you guys pop in and out of Facebook and hit like for somebody's status, why don't you go and hit like for somebody's article that you may have enjoyed or a review that they may have liked? You know, we all bust our asses for the site, but we also bust our asses for you guys, for the fans, to give you guys great and individually unique content, not cookie-cutter shit like IGN and the rest of those websites that have the typical agenda-driven we're going to give this game a good review so we can get free shit. It's not the way it works. The fact is, it, it's, it's something, again, I'm, I'm, and I'm going to make it a point starting in 2011 not to rehash shit like that, but these communities are set up for you guys, and if you guys don't use them and then I remove them, I don't want to hear any shit in regards to why you, know, you deleted my account or why you did this or why you did that. It's that simple. It's the same thing with with T-shirts. People are like, oh, what's up with the MTR T-shirts? Well, I ask people, hey, you know, maybe the shirts will probably be 20 25 bucks. Oh, that's a lot of fucking money. Okay, what the fuck you want from me? People got to get fucking paid. You know, just, just shit like that. Anyway, that's pretty much all the housekeeping for this week. Again, Splatterhouse Contest, get your entries in tonight. If you plan on entering, winners will be announced next week. Uh, top five entries get a Splatterhouse T-shirt. Um, I believe it is size extra large. Uh, very cool-looking shirt sponsored by Namco and West Mansion. Uh, Splatterhouse logo on the front. Nice little sayings in the back. Has a couple of blood splotches. Looks A-OK. -okay. So definitely, I like it. I wear my shit because I got one as well. But regardless, if you want to enter, get your entries in. All right. Tonight's topics. We're going to talk about the Ultimate Fighter finale. We're going to talk about Strike Force, TNA Final Resolution, Monday Night Raw, the NPD numbers, some movie news, and of course, I'll be taking calls as usual. First off, let's get the MMA news out of the way because De Silva will be calling in at around 11:30, and uh, we're going to discuss the Ultimate Fighter finale as well as the Strike Force card. 
But until then, I am going to go through some of the MMA news first, a little a little switch in the way things are done, just because usually there's a better, por- a bigger portion of the show dedicated to uh, the fights that went on. So I just want to go a couple of things that popped up in the news this week. Strikeforce, first off, is the leading news story for us this week. Strikeforce Challengers 13 is set to take place January 7th in Nashville. Uh, the main event is going to be televised uh, the main card is going to be televised on Showtime during a free preview weekend of the cable network. So if you don't have Showtime, you can take advantage of the free preview weekend and get to catch Strike Force January 7th. Uh, the main event is going to be Tyrone Woodley fighting uh, Tarek Safadine. Um, also on that card is going to be undefeated Daniel Cormier. He's going to be fighting Devin Cole. You've got Yancey Medeiros versus John Salter on that card. Uh, you got some women's MMA, Julia Budd and Amanda Nunez. And Nate Moore versus Nate Coy is the televised card. In some UFC news, UFC Fight Night 23, which is scheduled for January 22nd, has seen some changes to the card. Uh, Kenny Florian was supposed to be meeting Evan Dunham in the main event. Unfortunately, Kenny Kenflo Florian sustained a knee injury, and the replacement will be the young assassin Melvin Gillard, which is perfectly fine in my book. I'm a huge Melvin Gillard fan. Um, I think a fight with Evan Dunham is going to be badass for sure. Um, on that card is where you're going to get Tim Haig versus Matt Mitrione, Mark Hominick versus George Roop. You're going to get Pat Hyperdye Barry versus Joey Beltran, which is a fight I definitely want to see. You got Cole Miller versus Matt Wyman. And on the prelims, you got Eve Edwards fighting Cody McKenzie. Uh, you got Mike Guyman versus Demarcus Johnson, which bums me out that it's on a fucking prelim because I think uh, the Joker and Demarcus Johnson would have a fucking badass fight on television. Uh, Chanson Young and Ronnie Yaya are going to be meeting as well. Definitely the Eve Edwards-Cody McKenzie fight I kind of want to see, especially Cody McKenzie coming off uh, this past season of The Ultimate Fighter with his patented guillotine choke, of course, fighting Eve Edwards, who is the master of thug jitsu, make of that what you will. Eve Edwards actually was on MMA Gospel yesterday, so if you want to check out that interview, head over to MMAGospel.com or blogtalkradio.com slash MMAGospel to check out that interview as well. Of course, tomorrow, is, not tomorrow, excuse me, Saturday is UFC 124. Uh, the prelims will not be on Spike TV because they will be having the Spike TV Video Game Awards, and I actually will be giving an announcement regarding the Video Game Awards later on in the broadcast. But if you do want to check out the prelims, UFC.com did announce that they will be hosting live streams on UFC.com. The main event, of course, is George Rush St. Pierre fighting Josh Koscheck for the welterweight title. you got Sean McCorkle versus Stephen, Stephen Strew. Jim Miller versus Charles Oliveira, Mac Danzig versus Joe Daddy Stevenson, Thiago Alves versus John Howard on the preliminary card, which you can see on UFC.com. You got Mark Bocek versus Dustin Hazlett, and uh, Jesse Bonfeld versus Rafael Natal. The untelevised fights are supposed to be Sean Pearson versus Matthew Riddle. You got Joe Dirksen versus Dan Miller, which I'm a little bummed that that's not going to be televised, but I'm sure it'll pop up. Uh, Ricardo Almeida is going to be fighting T.J. Grant, and Pat Audenwood is going to be fighting uh, John McDessie. So definitely, if you're used to catching the prelims on Spike, I recommend you head over to UFC.com and you can catch the fights there. In addition to that, this week we had the trial for the for the driver that was involved in the death of Charles Mask Lewis. 
um, who passed away in 2009. Uh, Jeffrey David Kirby was found guilty in his trial. Kirby was convicted of vehicular manslaughter by unlawful act of gross negligence while intoxicated for hitting Charles Lewis March 11, 2009, while speeding. Um, Mr. Kirby had a blood alcohol level 0.13 two hours after the crash. He faces the maximum penalty of 13 years in prison. Um, definitely one of those things where it's, it's just a, a shitty turn of events. Of course, Mask was involved with the tap-out movement um, along with uh, Skyscrape. These guys... They helped bring MMA to the mainstream. They supported a ton of up-and-coming fighters. He was a huge loss to the MMA community, and it, it's great to see that justice was served appropriately and um, that Jeffrey David Kirby was found guilty of, of this negligence while driving hammered. Um, of course, it doesn't bring mass back, but it definitely helps. It helps his memory live on, so... I, I'm glad to see that it went down the way it went down, and he's going to get at least 13 years in prison for sure. Um, Dana White, of course, Fight Week always has a lot to say. A uh, couple of things I want to get get into that he discussed. First off, when asked about the Chael Sonnen situation, he gave a couple of typical Dana White sound clips. First off, when asked about the California State Athletic Commission hearing, Dana White responded with the following. To be 100% honest with you, I haven't heard anything about the Sonnen case. Mark Ratner was down there with him. But if you're sitting here telling me that Chael said something, some crazy shit down there, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't shock me. I don't know. It's one of those things that's a difficult situation. Now it is what it is. In regards to the rumors of Vanderlei and Chael Sonnen as ultimate fighter coaches for season 13, he said the following. I've literally been on the road for so long. I go home Sunday, then I leave again on Monday. I go on the road for another week. There's a lot of things I haven't dealt with. I haven't looked at that at all. And now we have to figure out what to do with Chael. I guess the good part is that he, got a good, uh, that he only got a six-month suspension. I was expecting a year. I've not come anywhere close to picking coaches for the Ultimate Fighter yet. When asked if Chael Sonnen could coach the Ultimate Fighter Season 13, he could coach the Ultimate Fighter. Absolutely. You know, there's a lot of guys out there that people say would make great coaches on The Ultimate Fighter, um, you know, Rampage, the, you know, guys that are, that are, well, that are big names, um, Anderson Silva, some people have talked about. But I think that Vanderlei and, and Chael would be good for a couple of reasons. Vanderlei just because he's a fucking lunatic and um, watching him interact with the fighters and teaching him his brutal style of uh, shoot-to-box style fighting definitely would be worth seeing. In addition to that, Chael Sonnen is a human, is a human fucking sound box of bullshit, and he will definitely make the season memorable. Now, on the flip side, though, it does concern me if the focus is solely on Chael's antics and not on the fighters. And, of course, this has happened before. See Rampage Jackson with titties. Um, see Ken Shamrock. You can go down a list of coaches that have been you know, decent. But I think uh, Sonnen and Vanderlei would be cool, and especially having them meet afterwards would be a, a, a fucking bloodbath. That fight can go either way. Chael Sonnen, solid ground game. Vanderlei just comes in there with rape chokes and, and elbows and dangerous Muay Thai and dangerous striking. I'd pay to see that fight on fucking pay-per-view in a heartbeat. In some other news and some other things that Dana talked about, he was 
He confirmed that there will be three countries that will be getting their own versions of the Ultimate Fighter. There are going to be three international versions, with Canada being the fourth. He stated that they will be happening in 2011. So keep an eye out for that for an international version of the Ultimate Fighter. Now, of course, UFC 124 is slated to be a record breaker this weekend. Um, UFC 131 is scheduled April 30th in Toronto. That's going to be at the 69,000-seat Rogers Center. And Dana White's been eyeballing doing a fight in Texas at the Texas Stadium, at Cowboy Stadium. He said that when he saw the pacquiao Claudi fight there in March, it drew 51,000 spectators. He said that he'd like to go down there with the right fight. As soon as I have the right fight, I will definitely do it for sure. It's going to be either this year or next year. A fight in, in, in Cowboy Stadium would be sick. It would be beyond disgusting to see. I think that everybody said that the rumored fight was supposed to be Brock Lesnar versus Fedor, but right now I think that the only fight that would be worthy of going in something like that, like Cowboy Stadium, would be a fight between GSP and Anderson Silva which Dana White said is a dream fight. It is a possibility. This, that fight could happen if everything goes their way in the next couple of fights. But for now, the main focus is on Toronto. And, you know, they're talking about will GSP be on that card. I don't know, man. That's, that's cutting it kind of close in April after a title defense in December. But stranger things have happened. In regards to that, Dana said, I don't even know if we can go to Toronto with GSP. But if that's the way it works out, I'm all for it. What's going to happen is Canada's getting so big, and obviously Toronto is this thing that's been talked about and worked on for so long. I just know every guy on the roster is going to want to fight on that show. I mean, who wouldn't want to fight in Toronto for that event? It's true. I think that this event in Toronto, don't get me wrong, the, the event in Montreal is, is going to be monstrous this weekend, but Toronto, the, Toronto's the big one. This has been a big fish that they've been trying to get for a minute, and I think that Anderson Silva... Anderson Silva and GSP would be a great main event there as well. I mean, Cowboy Stadium would be huge just because I'm, I'm sure people would travel from all over the country to see that because that fight would be just insane. In some other UFC expansion news, Dana White did announce that the UFC will be debuting in Scotland in May. That event will be UFC Fight Night 25. It's going to be taking place allegedly at the 4,000-seat Brayhead Arena near Glasgow. The UFC has mentioned that they could take some non-pay-per-view events to international venues, and this will likely be the first of those events. Am I missing anything else? Actually, yes. I did want to talk a little bit about the California State Athletic Commission. And, you know, there's been a lot of talk, especially with what happened with Leonard Garcia and Nam Fan. Um, Slick was here this weekend when we watched the Ultimate Fighter finale and I'll be discussing it with De Silva when he calls in. But the California State Athletic Commission has come under a lot of scrutiny, obviously, because of what happened with this past weekend's fight with Leonard Garcia and Nam Fan. And it's also happened on a couple of other, um, in a couple of other instances as well, whether it's the Nevada State Athletic Commission or the California State Athletic Commission. A lot of people are feeling that these judges, especially with a fight like Nam Fan and Garcia, just aren't suited for the job. A lot of people would like to see more, uh, more MMA judges, in other words, former fighters, uh, coaches, teachers, people that have a bit, a bit more of a thorough understanding of the sport in regards to you know, ground control, striking. Things like that are definitely huge factors, and you know, people that have a background in that 
would help the judging run so much smoother. It's really unfortunate that it's gotten to the point where, you know, a guy like Cecil Peoples, who I shit on constantly, is his bullshit is being seen on such a grander scale. And Joe Rogan actually was really upset in regards to what happened with Nam Fan. And this was one of the um, comments that he made. He said, he may think some, oh, well, actually, let me, let me go back. Um, Keith Kaiser was, was interviewed and was asked about the decisions with the, um, the judging for the Leonard Garcia and Nam Fan fight. And he was asked about Joe Rogan's commentary. Uh, Joe Rogan, of course, was very upset about what went down. He was really, really bent out of shape. And he voiced his displeasure on the broadcast and also via Twitter and in a couple of public circles already. So it's already made the rounds. So have other fighters, uh, fellow colleagues that, that do radio, um, they do podcasts, and also um, MMA correspondents have all voiced their displeasure, not only at that decision, but just the, whole, the way it went down completely. And when asked about it, when asked about Rogan's comments, Keith Kaiser said the following. He may think some of the judges aren't as good as I do, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with him thinking that. But I've gotten rid of several judges during my tenure, and every judge has to keep doing well if they want to stay a judge. So I don't disagree with cleaning house of officials that aren't worthy of it, and I've done so. You know, I understand that Keith Kaiser has to, you know, kind of cover his ass, and he's gone on record as saying that he's taken care of shit like this before, and he gets rid of bad judges. But in looking at the tape and, you know, Leonard Garcia, he felt that fan won, and now he's saying he felt he won. And looking at the tape, and I don't know how the judges are looking at it, when you look at the tape, you clearly see Nam Fan using a lot more technical strikes, using a lot more of a diverse striking style, being more of the aggressor. Um, Leonard Garcia started getting gassed as the fight progressed. He, he was still very active, but he wasn't active like he was at the start of the fight. He was definitely starting to get winded. He was starting to get a little, a little beat up. And Nam Fan just had a crisper striking style, and he was doing his thing. And, you know, in regards to that, we all saw it, and we all agreed that Fan took the fight. He did. Better striking. He just was just more technical. He was more diverse with his offense. Garcia was as well, but it wasn't to the point where it, was, uh, um, it wasn't an offense that would win you a fight. It was an offense to survive. At least that's the way I saw it. I'm sure other people see it differently, but I've just been informed that De Silva's on the line, so I'm going to bring him on, and we're just going to get this started right away. If the switchboard would decide to fucking work, that would be great. The Silva, you're on the air. Yeah, what's up? What's going on, dude? Not much, you? Ah, maintaining. Well, you know what? We'll start. We'll start with uh, this Leonard Garcia Nam fan situation. Um, of course, you know Nam fan ended up losing that fight. And Leonard Garcia won via split decision. Now, now I figure. Let me ask somebody else. How did you see the fight going? Did you agree that Nam fan was the more aggressive? Nam just got robbed. That's, that's the only thing that you can say about this fight. Garcia he had his moments, but in knowing how that he went the fight completely. I agree. Garcia, Garcia had offense, but like I said before you called in, he had offense to survive the fight. He didn't have offense to win the fight. 
Yeah, that's true. Like, I, I gave him, I think it was, like, round one or round two. I gave him one of those two rounds. I gave Garcia the first, and then Fan, I gave the second and the third, especially when he did that that um, that um switch kick where he kicked them in the side. I'm like, holy shit. You know, that was that Yeah, was, it, was a, that it was a good awesome. side kick. You know, he, he caught him he caught him flush, it was clean, he hit the floor. It's like any judge that doesn't see that and say, Hey, you know, that that's a difference maker. He took the guy down with a strike. He didn't even you know, he didn't even shoot in for a takedown, he took him down with a strike. It is huge. how they didn't see that just boggles my fucking mind. Yeah, I think uh this fight behind the Shogun Machida fight was one of the biggest robberies so far. Yeah, the Shogun, the Shogun Machida fight was was total fucking horseshit as well. Well, where the hell are my notes? My notes are a little off, so bear with me a second. Um, the Damian Maya and Kendall Grove fight, I was a little disappointed. Just that you know, I know Maya winning was was a given, especially if it went to the ground. But I just feel that Kendall Grove hasn't been the same his last couple of fights. What did you think of the way the fight went down? I actually didn't see that fight, so I can't comment on it. Oh, shit. How the fuck is that? How'd you, how did you not see that fight? Because I had to do other shit. Ah. I was, Fair I was enough. Switching strike, I was switching between strike force and uh, thing. Ah, okay. That, yeah, all right. Fair enough. Um, did you get to see the Bonner and uh, the Porcryas fight? No. Damn. All right, tell yeah. me you saw the final. Uh, yeah, that one I saw at least. Okay. That, I'll tell you what. I was very surprised that Brookings took it the way Johnson came out in that first round. Johnson came out like a beast. I was like, holy shit, this, guy, this guy's going to take it. And Brookings, like usual, man, pulls it out of his ass and ends up Taking the taking the title of Ultimate Fighter via unanimous decision. You think no, Brook is going to be? A, uh, what was that? No, I'm saying he deserves it though, because every single fight that we've seen him, he just keeps on getting better. He does. He's a, he's definitely a sponge. Do you think that that he's one of he's going to be one of those guys that's going to win it, and you'll be seeing him in title contention within the next six months? Is he a guy that you can see in that? Six months, no, but possibly an 18, for sure. Oh, okay. I definitely was, uh, you know, I was bummed that Johnson lost. I mean, I like, bo- I like both fighters. I just felt that, that Johnson had a, um, it, it, it's kind of cliche to say he had a more exciting style, but Brookings was more, was more technical. And he was also, he, he, he had a, he had a better. He had his head in the game for the whole fight. Even though he was down in that first round, he didn't. He didn't fold it up. So I definitely respect that. But Johnson just brings that that air, that air of excitement, which I thought, holy shit, you know, this guy, this guy could do some major damage. Of course, you know, these guys they fight for that six figure contract and they end up in the UFC anyway. But you know, I I thought I thought Johnson would have taken in that first round the way he came out. Yeah, I agree with you. All right, you alive back yeah. there? Somewhat. Get it together. Yeah, I'll just, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Shut up. I'm good. All right. Well, since you are strike force, let's talk about strike force. Um, couple of things I want to talk about. Of course, there were there were the the, the three major knockouts. 
Um, but one fight in particular, did you get to see the highlights for um, Antonio Silva and Mike Kyle? Holy shit. That's the only that's the only way you can describe that fight. You know, I was I was shocked that Mike Kyle dropped a forty a guy that outweighed him by fifty pounds as soon as that bell rang. I was like, holy shit! And I thought Kyle was actually going to go in there and do some major damage. Silva, you know, Silva, fucking Easter Island head, um, definitely surprised me that he weathered the storm and he came back and he took it. Yeah, I think it was like he swept Kyle into the mount and he started dropping hammer fists. In the second, I think. you know, he he came down and he was he started doing the uh, the Sakuraba style, uh, dropping the double bombs, and I was I was just surprised that he came back he came back so well, considering that Kyle was Kyle had him rocked in that first round. And one thing is that you know Kyle took this fight and he took it, it on, like on short notice. Yeah, he took it on two weeks' notice, you know, trying to make a statement. And I tell you what, if you can, if you he can put a forty-pound guy, if you can put a forty-pound guy on his ass without even breaking a sweat, you know that, that you know they should definitely look at Mike Kyle a little more, a little closely. Yeah, he he made a statement for sure. Even if it's not a heavyweight, uh, he should get a good fight either in uh, light heavyweight and as the next fight, that probably face probably. You never, you never know. Yeah, I definitely, you know, I, I want to see Kyle definitely in some title contention for sure. Um, that Robbie Lawler and Lindland fight, which, of course, I want to discuss next. Um, Matt Lindland is a guy I, I like watching him fight. He's always, he's always good. He's always a good fighter to watch. But as of late, it's like, it's like every time he gets, he, he loses, it's usually by some sort of vicious KO. And... It it just makes me wonder if he should even continue fighting anymore. What do you think of the fight, uh, and do you think that uh, Linlin Linlin should hang him up? Yeah, Linlin's done. Like you don't want to say, "Oh yeah, you're done," because you're not you're not in his shoes. But if you're getting knocked out two fights and you're getting back to back and you're getting knocked out the way he did, for sure you have to just hang him up. Yeah, that that. That Robbie Lawler KO, the way the way he hit the floor, and you know he had that little bit of a shake when when people get knocked out. I was like, holy shit! I'm like, I'm you know, especially he didn't get up for a few minutes, and Robbie Lawler was hype. Robbie Lawler, you know, he's not getting paid by the hour. He went in there and he he did work. He looked so fresh. He could probably fight in two weeks if you called him. Possibly. Daily and then uh, Sempex which, of course, Slick Fields was KO of the night. Um, I, I felt bad for Scott Smith. I, I, I love watching him fight. He fought, when he fought Drago, you know, that, that was a great fight. And, of course, his fight with Kung Lee. Uh, another, another, uh, the uh, the Manoff fight yeah. was pretty good as well. Yeah, the, the Manoff fight was, was serious. And his fight with uh, Lawler also. So, you know, I, I didn't write him off completely, but Daly, Daly's coming in there trying to make a statement and he he was he was gonna make his statement any any way he could. I see next fight uh, set up Daly versus Lawler, and then winner of that possibly gets title shot. Daly versus Lawler, I'd like to see. Um, I was definitely looking forward to a fight with Daly and Nick Diaz or him and KJ Nunes, which of course he called out post fight. Um, Daly and Diaz would be sick. The shit talking would be at an epic level. Um, 
I'd love to see it, especially after, you know, being deprived of the mayhem and um, being deprived of mayhem yeah. and DS. Yeah. And lastly, of course, Henderson and Babalu, which which I was shocked that Henderson fucking killed him dead. That's twice Babalu's been been murdered with with KOs. Hensel's back. Period. End of story. That's all you have to yeah, say. Yeah, I was. I got mad that he got written off for the Jake Shields. You know, after his performance against Jake Shields, and everybody's like, "Ah, Hendo's done." You know, I, I I think Henderson not only is he a contender, but he definitely performed well. He two, definitely uh, watched for that division. Two and one in his last three fights, and you're gonna write him off? Why? Oh yeah, but, you know you know that's how it goes. You know the the the, the writers automatically go in, um, and they're like, oh, you know, he fucking lost and. His his loss to Jake Shields wasn't a devastating. You know, it wasn't like he was KO'd. You know, he just got laid. He just got blanketed for five rounds or three rounds. Yep. He got he, he, he got the old smother treatment. He got chills on and last, five rounds, and he lost. Oh yeah, of course. But you know what? Uh, to, to wrap it to wrap it up, uh, I figured I'd ask UFC one twenty four. Um, I'm, I'm only going to ask your, your picks on, on three fights. Um, Alves and Howard, because you wrote a, a piece for um, MMA Gospel. How do you feel about that fight? Uh, I actually think Howard's going to take this fight. Really? Yes. How so? I, I, don't, know, I don't know what it is. I, I, just, I think it's going to be a decision, but I don't know what it is. I have, I'm just having like, this gut feeling. That Alvis is getting his uh his pink slip and he's going to strike force. Hmm. Okay. I I actually thought I, I the way I have it I have you know I have Thiago as my pick you know he's uh he's with Mike uh, Dolce and he's he's dialed in in terms of diet I think he's gonna come in and we're gonna see a, a fresh uh, Thiago Alves for sure. Yeah, no, uh, I'm not taking any away, anything away from Alphys. If he if he comes in with a good game plan and he actually makes weight, Howard's in trouble. Yeah, I think I think if if Alphys comes in there dialed in and his Muay Thai is on point, Howard isn't going to be able to come in and and try and and take it to the ground. I think Alphys is going to make sure to work his leg kicks and work his Muay Thai and keep him at a distance. And then he should be, you know, I, I think Alves by decision. Um, I'm not so sure about a KO just because I don't know how well the weight cut went. I mean, he cut to 170 and he seems ready to go, but stranger things have happened. Yeah. Well, it's true. You just have to see how it go, how Wayne's go tomorrow to kind yeah, of get an idea Yeah, the Wayne's are going to be a deciding factor only because, you know, He's he's been overweight twice already, and you know even if the oh. cut was was clean, he hasn't been successful the last two times. So that doubt is there for everybody else. Well, he's missed. He's actually missed weight two times, or he's had to pay the twenty percent fee two times. But in his past, I think it's like four or five fights, he's had to use uh, the extra two hours just to cut the weight. Yeah, that should that should destroys you. You you end up being withdrawn and you use a lot of you lose a lot of strength as well. 
Just look at the Silva Luter fight. He tried to cut the weight he couldn't make it, and he got triangle. He got triangled easily. Yeah, that Luter that Luter fight was such bullshit. You know, you had him come in, and all of a sudden, it, you know, he had all this hype behind him, and he was pretty competitive. And then it's he the the fucking how, how are you not going to be ready for a championship fight? I think that that's what killed um, Ultimate Fighters getting a chance at titles after that whole Luter situation. And of course, the big one, GSP and Koscheck. I don't know, I'm trying to I'm trying to not be biased on this pick because you already know who Uh-oh. I have, who I'm picking. Yeah, you already know who I'm picking. <laughs> I'm trying oh not yeah. To be you know, it, I'm I'm gonna be I'm gonna be honest with you. I, I I'm picking GSP. Um, I'm a, I'm a fan of GSP. He's a great ambassador for the sport, but. You know, he's gotten caught, you know, he got caught by Matt Sarah, and, you know, it shows that that there's a little bit of vulnerability there. I mean, he came back and he he killed Matt Sarah, but but Koscheck is a different dude. He talks a lot of shit, and even though GSP hasn't let it, he hasn't let it affect him psychologically, I definitely think that GSP, you know, he's definitely concerned. I mean, Koscheck is dangerous from from from, uh, from the ground and standing. He has KO power, and his wrestling. You know, you're talking about a guy who who's uh, who's an elite level wrestler. I mean, everybody is on the George St. Pierre is an awesome wrestler bandwagon. But I gotta keep it real. GSP's wrestling is good. Koscheck's wrestling is on a whole other level because that's his base. GSP's come a complete package fighter. Koscheck just adapted his wrestling to MMA and, you know, of course, inc- included his striking in that. Yeah, it's, it's, you just have to see how the fight goes. But uh, if if GSP wins, it's going to be a unanimous decision. You're not going to see him knock yeah. him out. You're not going to see him knock out Kostic. You're not going to see him submit him. It's just going to be what, it's going to be a boring fight. That's what I'm thinking. Well, you know, it's, it's funny, especially after what happened with uh, Dana White saying that, uh, Saying that uh, Greg Jackson, he, you know, he makes his fighters fight safe, or you know, all of that. I think that GSP. I have a feeling that there's definitely a little bit of pressure to go out there and perform, especially when you're in Montreal. And that's the other thing that concerns me too. He's got the hometown crowd. He's hype. He's going to want to go and put on a good show. But I think that there's a small part of me that thinks that that hype of him being at home it's may, may, may get may get him caught. He may get super hype and, and, and do something. He might come out of his comfort zone, and Koscheck may catch him, and that might be that. In which case, Dana White has gone on record as saying that Josh Koscheck better have a helicopter on the top of that arena so he can get the fuck out of Canada as soon as that happens. Yeah. So it's, Montreal is not going to be good this weekend if GSP loses. Yeah, I don't, especially, you know, you're in Canada – you, you know you know the the love GSP gets up there, man, and if he loses, I, yeah. I think there might be fucking riots. Yeah, uh, I can bet that 100% that's something that's going to happen. Especially if Koscheck cuts, you know, uh, a shitty post-fight interview. Hey, you never end, know. It's going to end viciously. It's going to end viciously if he starts talking that shit. Like, hey, Canada, how about your boy? And all of a sudden you just see you know, angry fucking Canadian storm in the cage, I'm going to be like, oh, shit. And that's going to be that. That'll end up on YouTube immediately. 
run. Yeah, it's gonna that's gonna be bad news. But um, we'll see we'll see what we'll see what happens this weekend, and um, you know definitely we will discuss it Monday. Anything else you want to add? Of course, you write for MMA Gospel. Anything? Any other plugs you want to get out there? Uh, MMA Gospel, Stepping Gear, uh, SteppingGear dot com. Pretty much it. All right, dude. I'm going to take a commercial break, and um, I'm going to run into some wrestling. So, if anything, if you got anything to add, just uh, call back. All right. Sounds good. Yeah, sounds good. Man. All right, homie. Peace. Peace. I'm going to take a quick commercial break. We're going to talk some wrestling right after this. What if it's on tonight, even? Tonight at ten on your local news. I said to Jesus, Jesus, can you say this is the deal of the century, people? I'm telling you. So, Jason, uh, what, what, I mean, what, what are we doing tonight? Tumbling with Tumbleweed, Tuesday nights at 10 p.m. BlogTalkRadio.com, Eastern Standard Time. Do you even know? Jason? Jason, are you there? All right, and we're back. Um, I actually had recorded some bumpers to put in between each segment, some music to lead it in, but um, I didn't get to finish uploading them to Blog Talk Radio, so next week there'll be, you know, UFC intro music for MMA and Raw or TNA music for wrestling and something for video games and something for movies. But um, that'll happen next week. This week, though, let's talk some wrestling. First off, TNA's Final Resolution pay-per-view. I'll tell you right now, I was... Expecting this pay-per-view to suck 17 different layers of shit. And I, was, I came away slightly impressed. And I, and I use it slightly. The uh, number one contenders match with Beer Money and Ink Ink was very competitive. I enjoyed it. Um, one thing was that if you thought Ink Ink was going to get that number one contendership match, you must have been high off your ass. Great performance from Beer Money. They always deliver. Um, Ink Ink, I think they could, they need to get into a good program with somebody like the Motor City Machine Guns or Generation Me. And I can see them moving up the ranks into tag team contention, but putting them in right away, definitely not, not feeling it. Not feeling it at all. I think that putting them in there, I think, for me, was pay-per-view filler and they couldn't find any other tag teams because guess what? TNA fucking gets rid of and breaks up everybody to challenge beer money. All you got is Generation Me, the Motor City Machine Guns, and Beer Money, and Ink Ink. That's it. There are no other fucking tag teams. None. Gone. So Beer Money gets the number one contendership match. What's going to happen? Another, another specialty match with the Motor City Machine Guns? Who knows? Because... Their tag division that they were so well-known for is in the fucking shitter. In the shitter completely. I was horrified that they would go that, they would go that route and put Ink Ink in there and not build some sort of a, of a feud, some sort of history. All of a sudden, oh, yeah, Ink Ink is challenging uh, for number one contendership. It almost felt that, like, it was just rushed. Like, it just got pieced together to open up the pay-per-view. The second match, the false count anywhere with Tara and Mickey James, I was surprisingly impressed that they were given um, ample time with this match. I think that the chemistry they have um, was really great. They work really well together. They actually are supposed to be having a cage match on Impact 
uh, tonight, which probably should be over, but I'm not going to get into. But there's a lot of great chemistry there, but you can't build your knockouts division around these two, which leads me to, you know, TNA's release of Ayako Hamada, which was totally fucking unfortunate. She was a really great asset to that division. I also heard that Taylor Wilde was also released, and in, and in turn, the knockout tag team titles are vacant, and there's a tournament for that. You can't build your whole division on the beautiful people. It's fucking pointless. Don't get me wrong. They get you ratings. They're nice to look at. But if you want to offer quality, competitive women's wrestling, why are you eliminating all the athletes and all the, and all the knockouts that can give you that sort of a product. Awesome Kong, gone, thanks to Bubba the Jizz Sponge. Then, you know, you get rid of Taylor Wilde, who her wrestling was passable, but still. Hamada you get rid of. Um, Gail Kim leaves, and she's like a fucking valet, or, you know, she's filler on WWE. Way to go, Gail Kim. Was all that money worth it for fucking playing second banana to every guest host that's there? Eh, who knows? Of course, then they bring in... Um, Katie Lee from from WWE to play the winter role with Angelina, again, making the beautiful people involved in some shape, way, or form. You lose Lacey Von Erich, who, not the best wrestler, don't get me wrong, and that's putting it mildly, because she was usually fucking abysmal. But still, you know, you have a, a training facility, you have ample wrestlers there that can train some of these knockouts to have better matches. But, you know, no, TNA, why, why would you guys do that? Why would you guys give me... Um, a better product. Why would you do that? No, instead, you guys take it upon yourselves to have bullshit that you try to pass as legit wrestling. The fact that you've been having to use Tara and Mickey James as the focal point for your division is absurd. It is beyond absurd that you guys can only base great wrestling matches on those two knockouts when you had such a great roster full of them a year back. It, it's fucking bullshit. All right. The TNA X Division title match was Robbie E., who, who we all love, oh so much for his Jersey Shore gimmick, with Jay Lethal. Um, Cookie was in a cage suspended above the ring, which was total fucking shit. And I like Jay Lethal. He's really good. I, I have no idea why Shark Boy was there. I have no idea why Robbie E. won this match. It, it was, uh, ugh, disgusted. I was disgusted with this match. Just because the storyline is shit, Robbie E.'s gimmick is total fucking colostomy bag worthy. You know, it's fucking terrible. It, it, it's a colostomy bag worthy pile of shit. That's what it is. It, 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 it's fucking AIDS patient, AIDS patient shit. That's what it is. Yellow diarrhea. It, it, it's stupid that they would actually go to this great length of putting your, your, your secondary belt on a guy who has a fist on his fucking ass. It's stupid. And, and the fucking fist-pumping shit, it, it's... When the Jersey Shore becomes a distant memory, what's going to happen to this poor bastard? What's going to happen? And again, I don't blame him. I don't blame Becky Bayless. I blame the writers for for saddling them with this gimmick and then not thinking, hey, in, in, in a year or two, people are going to get tired of the Jersey Shore. What are we going to do with this guy? First blood match, RVD and Rhino. RVD ended up winning. Um, allegedly, this was supposed to be Rhino's last match with TNA. 
Don't know how legit that is. I've heard different rumors that he's on a on a contract on a um uh, shit on a show by show basis. Sorry. Um, again, I like Rhino. He, he's he's an exciting dude to watch. But they they just have nothing for the dude. I mean, other than the gore and a couple of screaming promos, Rhino's best work was in ECW because Haven was able to help him hide some of his flaws. When he works with better wrestlers that are of a higher caliber, it's hard to see Rhino being anything more than punch, kick, and gore, and the occasional belly-to-belly slam. It's unfortunate, but that's all he is. He's, you know, he's six moves and screaming. And the gore, depending on who takes it, looks like shit. So, again, I like Rhino. I, I like watching him wrestle. It, it's just, I'm just saddened by, by how far he's fallen. And part of it is writing. The other part of it, of course, is, is, is the wrestling aspect of it, just because the opponents just don't mesh with him. RVD fucking hops around all over the place, has a crazy-ass offense to slow himself down to wrestle Rhino. Again, not their best match. I'll tell you what, though, the TV title match with AJ Styles and Doug Williams, fantastic. I was very impressed. When AJ gets a great opponent that can capitalize on all his strengths, it's fantastic. Not only that, but I'm a huge fan of Doug Williams' finisher, which is Chaos Theory, and if you haven't seen it, you should because it's really badass. I know a lot of people don't like Doug Williams. They think he's bullshit. Honestly, I like the technical wrestling. His promo work, definitely shit. It is total shit. I think a carton of milk cuts a better better promo. That's just me. I think his promo work needs needs improvement. I think he needs a manager or a, a good mouthpiece to help him out. But other than that, I have no problems with the match other than the fact that Doug Williams is going to be cutting the most boring promos ever. The Full Metal Mayhem match... Match, ugh, match, excuse me, with the Motor City Machine Guns and Generation Me was a great match. But again, you're saddled with the proverbial three flagship tag teams, Motor City Machine, Motor City Machine Guns, Generation Me, and Beer Money. What now? Motor City Machine Guns retain. Now they're on to fight Beer Money. What happens after either Beer Money loses or Beer Money gets the belts? Who's left to challenge them? Is it going to be Beer Money and Generation Me? I don't know how well that'll work. But the match itself was fantastic. They had some really great spots in that match. Uh, the slice bread through a table. Uh, the double stomp by Alex Shelley, which was badass. The hesitation drop kick, of course, by Saban, which is always really awesome to watch. Just a solid match. Again, that's the second match that I thought was really great on the card. Abyss versus The Pope in the casket match was total shit. Abyss ended up winning. Terrible chemistry. These guys work terribly together. And not only that, but it's almost the same angle that's going on with Kane and The Undertaker. Well, that went on with Kane and The Undertaker. You're not showing me anything different. And again, it's just that that chemistry blows. It fucking sucks. Abyss needs to work with guys like Raven, um, with guys like Dreamer, guys that can, can help with hide some of those flaws that he has. I mean, other than AJ Styles, who makes Abyss look good in almost every match, his, his past few matches with Pope, um, with Jeff Hardy, have been utter shit. Total and complete shit they've been. The submission match with Joe and Jarrett, 
disgusted by the outcome with Jarrett beating Joe via submission. Samoa Joe's contract is up, by the way. Um, they're in negotiations. He's another one like Rhino that's going to uh, supposedly be working from show to show. Whether Joe resigns with them remains to be seen, but what is he going to resign for? I feel terrible to say it. What are you going to resign for? To lose to fucking Jeff Jarrett? He's the founder of the company and all, and it's great. He brought TNA to the mainstream, and I and respect and, and admire that. But it's fucking Jeff Jarrett. His finishing move is a front lush Russian leg sweep. Any way you slice it. Him and The Miz have the same fucking move. It's, it's nowhere near awesome. If I, if I met The Miz tomorrow, I'd be like, dude, your mic work is good. Your finishing move sucks. I've seen toddlers that do a better fucking front Russian leg sweep than, than the fucking Jeff Jarrett and The Miz do. It's fucking absurd. And the fact that Samoa Joe, who is the Samoan submission machine, the name says it all, Samoan submission machine, would lose to a guy who's never used a submission until recently. With Jeff Jarrett, is disgusting. It is be, uh, if you guys want to have Samoa Joe leave, keep putting him in matches like this with fucking Jarrett and these shitty fucking stipulations and all this shitty fucking involvement. Keep doing that. Keep doing it. Because I guarantee you Samoa Joe will go right back to Ring of Honor. He'll have a couple of great matches with Davey Richards, um, Homicide, Daniels, any of the other, other talent there. And you know what? It won't be the same money, but the quality of the product will be a lot better. Don't get me wrong. You can always go to WWE. They can saddle him with some stupid, I eat coconuts and smash them on my head gimmick. Because, you know, they do that with every other Samoan guy that goes in there, excluding The Rock, of course. What, what are you going to do? I mean, if he wants the money, he can go to WWE and collect that dough. Whether, he be, whether he'll be successful in terms of an angle standpoint, I doubt it, just because Vince didn't create it. If Vince doesn't create you, you're going to get shitted on. It's a miracle that CM Punk has done so well. I'm, I'm still shocked about that. But I'll tell you what, if Samoa Joe went to WWE, matches with him and, you know, Daniel Bryan, Bryan Danielson, matches with him and CM Punk would be fantastic. They'd be sickening. They'd be sickening. Low-key, can't, can't forget about low-key. A match with low-key and Samoa Joe would be great. It would be, it would be awesome. Not only that, but if you wanted to create a nice little faction, you can do a faction with guys like Samoa Joe, Daniel Bryan, and CM Punk. CM Punk could lead them. It would be a nice little faction. They can, they can rebel against the system. Not using the, the straight-edge society mantra per se, but something regarding their Ring of Honor roots, it would be great. I, I wouldn't mind it. To see Samoa Joe lose to Jeff Jarrett, I honestly would, would, wouldn't mind seeing him in Ring of Honor. I'm 100% on the reel with you guys. I'd rather watch Samoa Joe leave than be subjected to this bullshit. Let's get into this no-DQ TNA world title match with Jeff Hardy. Of course, lots of rumors going around that Jeff Hardy showed up um, una uh, unable to perform. Some people were saying he was hammered. Some people were saying he was doped up. Some people were saying that he was wasted with alcohol. Some people are just saying it was exhaustion that caught up with him. The exhaustion story I have a hard time believing just because you're not on the road that much. 
if you told me that you were battling exhaustion on a WWE schedule, maybe I'd entertain it. But Jeff Hardy was allowed to perform his match with Morgan, another guy that he has shitty chemistry with. The clusterfuck from start to finish. Bischoff comes out with his rookie, with the rookie referee, Jackson James, who's actually his son, might I add. And, of course, Mr. Anderson gets attacked by Bischoff. Jackson James counts the pinfall. And that's that. Academic, Hardy wins and retains. Anderson is on the floor fucking bleeding. And that was it. Other than those two matches, that pay-per-view was a complete fucking disaster. Don't get me wrong. The number one contenders match was okay, but the full metal mayhem and the TV title matches were the outstanding matches on the card. The rest of the card, excuse me, utter shit. Anybody who, who has the balls to tell me that that card was good, which I actually had somebody tell me, oh, well, that card wasn't that bad, you are full of shit. I'd rather watch the fucking human centipede on loop that entertained the fact that this pay-per-view was anywhere near good. It was passable. Passable. Two matches, just two. The rest of it, shit. Shit. It, 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 your champion shows up unable to perform, whether it's alcohol or whatever the fuck it is, shows up unable to perform to the point where they actually contemplated removing him from the main event, and contemplated removing the belt off of him and doing some sort of an angle. When, when that type of, of decision is being involved, he must have been tanked beyond belief. He must have been. Or he must have been high or something, which, which I find just as disheartening as the fact that he wasn't able to wrestle at his utmost potential because the guy has a kid. He's, a, he's still dealing with his drug charges. That he that you know still haven't been resolved. You know you're a family man. You see these wrestlers dropping left and right, and you're out there fucking around. Are you kidding me? There, there's a thousand other dudes that would kill to be in your spot, and you're and you're fucking around, showing up unable to perform. Your job is your job. It's like showing up hammered at work. You'd be fired on the spot. This guy, if it's true, oh yeah, go ahead and wrestle. Go ahead and wrestle. Fucked up. You know what would have been entertaining? Him and Morgan having the match and him throwing up on Matt Morgan. I would have found that to be far more enjoyable than the bullshit that I had to sit through in that match. I was disgusted. You know what? Enough TNA talk. Let's talk Monday Night Raw, which surprisingly was, was passable. Of course, Raw opened up with uh, Michael Cole coming out and an apology to Waller and the GM getting involved. I'm not going to go through the rigmarole of going all the way through Cole, Lawler were forced to shake hands by the anonymous GM. Randy Orton came out. He cut a pro. He him and Miz cut a promo. Of course, Michael Cole ate an RKO. So our announced team for tonight was well for Monday night was Lawler, uh, Josh Matthews, and the always awesome CM Punk. Ted DiBiase and Maurice against Daniel Bryan and Brie Bella was the second match. What well, was the first real match? Um, I can't even say the match was good because it went, it came and went so quick. The Bellas pulled the switch. They're trying to do this whole Daniel Bryan ladies' man angle. I think it fucking sucks. Ted DiBiase and Maurice, I don't know what the fuck they're doing with them anymore. If they're going to break them up, be over and done with it already and put Maurice to fucking wrestle so she can improve 
Ted DiBiase doesn't need a, ba- a valet. Ted DiBiase needs to tighten up his fucking mic work. That's what he needs. David Hart Smith and Tyson Kidd, which was a match that was had on, um, what the hell is the fucking show that they do? The shit, WWE has a, has a show on WGN. I don't remember it because I hardly watch it. Needless to say, Kidd and Smith fought on that show first before fighting on Raw. Actually, yeah, they fought on Superstar, sorry. Nonetheless, they had the same match on Raw. Tyson Kidd had himself a new uh, insurance policy, so to speak. Big dude, seven feet tall. Of course, Tyson Kidd ends up winning the uh, roll-up. The big guy comes in and kills David Hart Smith. Obviously, by giving Tyson Kidd the big dude, they're trying to give him a bit of a push. I like Tyson Kidd. He's good. He's very athletic. His mic work, suspect. But that can be that can be erased just by letting the big guy do the talking if he if he's good on the mic also. Because nothing will be worse than both of them being shit on the mic and just sucking any sort of entertainment out of the room. David Hart Smith, I worry about just because it seems that no matter how you book the guy, he just doesn't seem to be catching on. And shout out to Miss for telling me superstars. I ended up finding it in my notes. So thanks for that, Mist, who's in the chat. Um, David Hart Smith, of course, son of the British Bulldog, has a great pedigree behind him. I just feel he's just not catching on. I don't know if it's a gimmick or he just gotten into, he hasn't gotten into the right feud. But I worry because I know that if he doesn't catch on, they're either going to send him back to the banish him back to the minors or repackage him or give him the boot. And if they give him the boot. Hopefully, if, they, if that were to ever happen, he'd go to Ring of Honor where he can work with more technically savvy wrestlers because to go into the fucking shit pile that is TNA right now is just signing a death warrant for your career. So definitely don't want to see that. The tag titles were up next. Usos, Nexus, Santino, and Mark Henry and Yoshitatsu, which is a terrible pairing. They, I, I, they, instead of sexual chocolate, you should just call that tag team fucking mellow yellow. But all racial jokes aside, obviously it was a given Santino, I mean, uh, John Cena was going to get involved, which of course he did. The Nexus lose the belts, and your new tag team champions, Santino and Kozlo. Now, I'm not totally shitting on this, but Santino and Kozlo are basically the equivalent of a comedy team right now. Unless they do a severe overhaul where they make them badass technical dudes that just beat the shit out of each other, I don't see this tag team title reign going absolutely anywhere. I don't know if he's just holding the belts to put the belts on the Usos because of Santino's involvement with Tamina, which could be the case, and they want to put the belts on them, so they figure they'll do that. We'll see how it unfolds, but Kozlov and Santino as a comedic tag team, cha- comedic tag team champion Definitely not something I really give a fuck about. Natalia and Melina was next. Melina and Natalia, good chemistry, a little too short for my liking. Um, I can't even say that the match was good because it went by so quick. Uh, Lay Cool, of course, pop up out of nowhere. Uh, Natalia ends up beating Melina with the sharpshooter. It was it was good. It was a good match, but it just it just didn't feel like like it was. I don't know, most of, I think most Divas matches and most knockout matches get a good, at least five, ten minutes. This match felt like it was just three minutes, and I blinked, and it was over. Of course, Lakul beats up Natalia post-match, which is a given, so they're going to continue that feud. 
Randy Orton and Alex Riley. Miz runs in, which is a given with the fucking DQ. Lastly, we close out Raw with a fucking promo. Barrett talking that shit to Cena about all these attacks. And, um, of course, Nexus come out. Barrett says that Nexus should attack Cena. Nexus is tired of Barrett, tired of getting attacked. So they actually turn their backs and leave. So a nice little Nexus mutiny got set up, which I was very surprised that they went with. Cena, of course, starts whooping Wade Barrett's ass, at which point Wade Barrett goes backstage. Oh, what the fuck? Why'd you guys not help me, David Otunga? Oh, you know, we're tired of getting fucking attacked. How about you bring John Cena back and you handle your business? Otherwise, we're not going to have your back. And, of course, you know, Wade Barrett, what are you going to do? Blah, blah, blah. I'll whoop your ass. Nexus all of a sudden has David Otunga's back, which is something I had talked about a couple of weeks back, saying that it would be interesting if Barrett was against the Nexus as well. Since he created them, they turn on him. And, you know, nice little, nice little bit, of, uh, a bit of chemistry if you go that route. Because not only that, you get the Nexus to feud with Barrett, which is good for a couple of reasons. It brings Otunga to the spotlight, and it starts giving those guys a little bit more um, breathing room. Because you have Barrett there, and Barrett you know is your mouthpiece. He's the, he's the better guy in the group. And the other guys kind of play second fiddle. By bumping up Otunga, you give these other guys an opportunity to kind of break out of their shell a little bit. I felt that the Nexus as a group collectively were great, but individually you still don't get any sort of chemistry with them. You don't really give a shit about them. Because honestly, Heath Slater, fucking Wendy's, Wendy's kid, I don't give a fuck about him. I don't give a fuck about, you know, Michael Tarver when he was there. The only guys that are remotely entertaining are Otunga because he's a douche, and, of course, um, what's-his-face? Uh, fuck. Damn it. Gabriel, because he has a kick-ass finishing move. Other than that, the Nexus just seem empty. It's just a whole bunch of bodies in yellow shirts. I don't know. Just I, I think that going this direction would be something that I'd like to see pan out just a little further. With that, that's going to wrap up the Raw recap for this week. There's a couple of little bits of wrestling news I want to discuss. Uh, the one big nugget of news that has been all over the web this week has been Hurricane Helms or Shane Helms and his um, derogatory comments regarding Shawn Michaels. Um, I'm not going to give my opinions until I give you guys some of the things that he said. Um, of course, the Hurricane Helms hosts a show called Highway to Helms on Geek Week Online. I believe it's Wednesdays. And when asked about Shawn Michaels by uh, co-host Marty Gardner, um, Helms went on record as saying that Shawn Michaels is his least favorite wrestler. He noted that HBK was his idol when he grew up, but he says that he let me down as a person. Helms went on to say that Michaels is the biggest hypocrite in the business and that his whole religious gimmick is a fucking work. Helms made sure to note that Michaels as a performer was great, mentioning his matches with The Undertaker. But then he turned around and he called Shawn Michaels, and I quote, using a little bit of Michael Cole there, a cockeyed, cross-eyed piece of shit. Now, of course, there's always beef. You know, there's always beef amongst wrestlers, especially when wrestlers leave the company. As most, of them, most of the shit is directed at Triple H or Shawn Michaels. You know, 
Hurricane Helms did say, you know, Shawn Michaels was one of the biggest drug abusers in the business. He snorted more coke and did more steroids than anybody in wrestling. Um, I, I respect the fact that he's coming out and he's calling it like he sees it, and that's fine. I respect that. I just feel that in doing that, it almost makes it seem like you're bitter, which you're not. I, I'm, I'm sure he's not bitter and he's just keeping it real, but you've got to think about it. The company gets rid of you. You're, you haven't signed with any organizations that we know of publicly, and you, you have an outlet to express yourself, much like I do and countless other uh, colleagues do, and you go and you attack one of, a guy who, you know, may not defend himself, which is what's happened. I mean, Shawn Michaels is, you know, he sent out a couple of tweets acknowledging it, but mostly the fans are giving uh, Shane Helms a lot of shit. I respect that he came on, he kept it real, and he was like, look, I like Shawn Michaels as a person, but I think, I mean, as a wrestler, but I think as a person, he's a piece of shit. You know what? I've been in predicaments like that where I've said that about my coworkers, where as coworkers, they're great. As human beings, they're fucking awful. The way it is. Same thing with, you know, it happens everywhere. But I just think that going this route and going via Twitter, I mean, going via your own show and attacking somebody so, I, I really want to say it was vicious in, in, in the sense that he's just like, you know, his fucking religious gimmick is a fucking work. Let me tell you something. And this is just, this is just something I personally feel. I know enough people that use, that, that use religion as a cover and they're fucking total crooks, assholes, and scumbags. I know plenty of them. I do. But you know what? Shane Helms should also keep it real, and, and I got to give credit to Mist, it's true, about his, his peeps, you know, about Matt, Shannon, and Jeff Hardy. Why don't you address this Jeff Hardy situation? Jeff Hardy's your boy. Why, if he didn't show up wasted to the pay-per-view and he had exhaustion, why don't you go on record and say that? Defend your boy. Put those energies to positive use. Sitting there tearing down a guy who's retired, what, you, you know, it's not like Shawn Michaels is going to be like, fuck you, you know, we'll fight or some shit. It's just going to be, you know, Shawn Michaels is going to let it rock, and then the fans are going to attack Shane Helms. Now, of course, me being on Twitter, I follow Shane Helms, and I read what people say, and, you know, a lot of people are like, yeah, well, you know, I respect you for keeping it real, blah, blah, blah. I look at it from both sides. I look at it from the fact that, sure, you know, he might be a little bitter, and, and he, you know, he had his own issues with Shawn Michaels, and that's fine. And if you want to air your grievances, that's great. But to sit there and continuously stretch it out, because this has been going on for a, for, for a couple of days now, a couple of different tweets regarding this situation, why don't you just meet the dude face-to-face -face and be like, look, man, I thought you were a dick, and I think you're a fucking phony. Why don't you call him on the phone? You know, Twitter beef, Facebook beef, shit like that, where you're subtly writing shit down about people or just using YouTube and shit like that. I just... I feel it's petty. I feel like it's really a petty out. And if you got real beef, just, just handle your shit. Handle your shit. Just be like, look, man, you're a dick. And, and I'm sure you can get his phone number. Doo, 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 doo. Hey, our break kid here. Hey, this is a hurricane. I think you fucking suck, and you ruined my career, and I hate you, and you're an asshole. Click. Do that. And then if you want to talk about that, be like, hey, I called Shawn Michaels and I told him he was a piece of shit, and I hated him, and he sucks as a, as a human being, but he's a great wrestler, and then I hung up. 
but at least you're, you're telling it like that instead of just going out in public, calling the man out, knowing he probably won't acknowledge you. And, again, I look at it from both sides. He, 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 he wanted to get it off his chest, and that's great, but I just felt the way it was done was just petty. It was fucking just petty shit. And I, and I like Shane Helms. I like Matt Hardy. I like all those guys. I like the fact that they have their life out there in the open, and I respect that. But there's just some shit that you should handle behind closed doors. There, there, there are certain people, and, and, you know, Slick can vouch for me, there are certain people that I've dealt with, you know, since I've been doing the show that uh, they're, they're nice, but they, they've got a lot of shit I don't like. You don't see me fucking calling them out every week unless you're, you know, you write me hate mail and then I'm just going to fucking rape your family over, over the web. That's what I'm going to do. But other than that, I keep shit under wraps, you know. Real is real, and if it's a real issue, handle face-to-face, just, you know. Moving on. Taz made an announcement that he is going into a new business. Uh, the new business isn't a wrestling school, though, but it's actually a finishing school made up for established wrestlers that are trying to break into the WWE TNA, or Ring of Honor. Taz's goal is to fine-tune the look and presentation of the performers applying so that they will appeal to a person like Vince McMahon or Kevin Dunn or Vince Russo or Dixie Carter, whom Taz has worked closely with in the past. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, you know, this is fucking stupid. They, you know, if wrestlers go to school, you know, they should, they should be finished, you know, they, they should be getting their finished educations at whatever wrestling schools they go to. And that's fine. But, you know, you're never too old to learn something new. And not only that, but if you guys have been watching NXT, Tough Enough, even some of the regular programming that WWE and TNA are putting out, there's a lot of guys that just, they don't have the complete package. What good is it that you have a body like Tarzan, but when you cut a promo, you you sound like fucking, like you have Down syndrome. And, you know, it's fucking stupid. It's a terrible way to say it. And I'm not even saying it to poke fun of people with Down syndrome, but it's just like some of these guys, they cut a fucking promo, and I just put it on mute. I put it on mute because there's nothing engaging. There's no emotion. It's almost like they're reading a fucking cue card. That's a, you know, like you take a guy, and here's a perfect example. You take a guy like, like Chris Benoit. Chris Benoit, phenomenal wrestler. Phenomenal. He would get on that fucking mic, and it would be shit. It would be utter shit. He'd get on the mic, yeah, I'm the rabbit wolverine, tap or snap. But no, no, it's not the way it works. You have to have a natural delivery. Guys like The Rock, Stone Cold Steve Austin, Jake the Snake Roberts, Shawn Michaels, those guys, they have a natural delivery. It sounds casual. Even, even Mr. Anderson and TNA, um, De Silva makes a great point. Eddie Guerrero, Eddie Guerrero was just naturally talented in regards to cutting a promo. He was so smooth about it, so, so legit. And, and, and we need that. You need, you need that extra something. What good is it putting 27 or, or fucking 30 hours a month in the gym and, you know, chiseling your body out of fucking granite but yet not having those other fundamentals. Yeah, it's wrestling, but there's promo, there's presence. You need all that shit. I say that sometimes. I remember a buddy of mine said that about the NBA before the NBA started stepping their game up. They said you can take dudes out of the hood, but you can't take the hood out of the dudes. 
and, and it's true. You, you got those guys, and this, you know, the NBA has instituted these programs. The NFL has instituted these programs where guys come in and you learn about public speaking, interacting with the press, presence, you know, how to dress. You, you need shit like that. I don't know how deep into that Taz in school is going to get, but you need those fundamentals. You need to know how to talk to a, to a, a gym full of 500 people and an arena full of 50,000. You can't go out there and go, yeah, I'll fuck him up. That's it. And walk away. It just, it, 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 it's a fundamental that has fallen by the wayside. And it's, and it's sad. It's sad to see. I mean, you know, Daniel Bryan is another guy. He gets a lot of shit for his mic work and wrestle like a motherfucker. But then you get a guy like CM Punk who's just so casual, who's just so easy to, to just, hey, go out there and do your thing, which sometimes you need that. There's guys out there that they just, you know, John Cena's another guy. When he used to do the hip-hop promos and he used to be freestyling, that was, and, and Strider makes a great point. Strider in the forum says that shit-talking is a lost art. It is. It's a lost art because it's not, it's not emotion-filled. There's not that, that aura of, you know, I really want to go out there and whoop your ass. That's one thing that I kind of, that, that I enjoy about MMA, and I'm going to cite somebody who, even though I'm not a fan of his for a couple of different reasons, Josh Koscheck, Chael Sonnen, those guys are great examples of, of shit-talking as an art form. I mean, there, there are distinct differences, though. A guy like Chael Sonnen will just beat you to death verbally. Josh Koscheck is kind of like a prankster. You know, he has that prankster vibe. And, you know, his shit-talking is there. Don't get me wrong. I tell you, his best shit-talking was when, when he fought Paul Daly. Hell, he got punched in the face after the bell because of the shit-talking. That is an art that is lost, especially in pro wrestling where your mic work is, is, speaks just as much volumes as your wrestling. It's fucking unfortunate. Josh Koscheck, love him or hate him, he, he's, he's good at that. He's good at going in there and inciting a reaction. It, it, right now, him going to Canada and, and doing what he's doing, he's being a professional, but there's going to be some shit-talking. There's going to be. How far it goes, who knows? Same thing with Chael Sonnen. Chael Sonnen talked shit at a hearing where his career was going to be put on hold for a year. Stephen, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. DeSilva mentioned Stephen Struve and Sean McCorkle. Um, you know, there, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of shit. You know, there was shit talking on Twitter, and that's fine. You know, you can Twitter shit talk, and, you know, that's cute, and you're using a new medium. But I like that face-to-face -face shit talking. I like the shit talking where motherfuckers, you know, they're out there and they're like, look, man, you know, don't make me whoop your ass like I beat your daddy's ass last week. You know, like, you, like those are the kind of promos you need. The Rock was good at shit like that. He can take anything. You can give him anything, he'd cut a promo on it. You'd be like, hey, Rock, cut a promo on this, uh, you know, cut a promo on this fucking mic right here. Cut a promo on this, on, on this printer, on this toaster. And The Rock would cut a promo on this toaster. You're talking about a guy that took strudel, which is a pastry, and integrated it into a fucking promo. He made it a catchphrase. Rudy Pooh Candy Ass. No one knew what the fuck that was. Nobody cared. But it was, it was a viable um, piece of, uh, uh, of, of fucking, it was a knowledgeable piece of verbiage that made the promos good. And that's what you need. You need that. 
you need shit like that. And I think Taz is finishing school. If, if I wish him the best success with it, man, because I think it's going to be something that's going to it's going to really step the game up. And a lot of wrestlers, they they need to go there. They need to go there and master shit like that. Paul Heyman was good at that too, just finding those those great things and making it work. You take a guy like Raven when he was in ECW. If you see the promo that Raven cut on the Sandman when he had the Sandman's family with him, it was mind-blowing. It was disgusting. When Shane Douglas cut, cut a promo on Taz, right before Taz defeated Shane Douglas for the belt, it was fantastic. And Taz didn't need to even say much. I remember correctly, Taz, it was um, Shane Douglas, Chris Candido, and shit, who was the broad that was with him? Francine. I don't remember what shit Shane Douglas was talking, and, you know, Francine was like, yeah, blah, blah, blah. And he was, you know, Taz was pretty much like, don't make me go over there and take that coke whore and shove her up your ass. You know, like, like that's the kind of shit where you, you don't need, and you don't even need to be great on the mic, but it's just little, little bits like that that make it great. I really hope it, I hope it takes off, man. I think a lot of wrestlers can definitely benefit. I'm going to take a quick commercial break. When I come back, we're going to talk some video games right after this. You know those shows where they play video game music and they laugh in, like, really high voices, like... <laughs> well, you won't listen to that on our show because uh, we don't have the budget for that kind of thing. We're broke as hell. And uh, nobody really cares that much to laugh that hard. So um, if you're looking for a show like that, that has horrible audio quality and uh, void of fake laughter, Video Game News Radio, 11 p.m. Tuesday nights on all games. And we're back. Let's talk some video games. For those of you that are fans of Splosion Man, which I know quite a few of you are, Twisted Pixel is working on its next official sequel. It'll be Mrs. Splosion Man, which, of course, will follow the female version of Splosion Man after celebrating the capture of the original Splosion Man. That game is scheduled for release fall 2011. No platforms have been announced as of yet, but I'm sure you're going to end up seeing it on Xbox Live and possibly PSN as well. It seems like every week I always have something nice to say about EA CEO, uh, John Ricciatello. Every week he says something that's just completely inane, completely stupid, and it, it boggles my mind how, how he just rambles off about this horse shit. This particular one is about the simple solution of defeating Call of Duty. When asked about how you can defeat the Call of Duty franchise, John Ricciatello said, make a better game. He repeated himself by saying, make a better game. He was interviewed recently by Kotako's uh, Steven Totillo, and they were asked about the higher Metacritic scores. And he said the following, if I had to pick the story I'd like to play out next year is we ship a 90 and they ship an 85. Activision has an awful lot of momentum without their brand, no doubt. What I've witnessed a couple of times in the game industry is the way you unseat a market leader is you make a better game a couple of times in a row. Surprisingly, he used Battlefield Bad Company 2 as an example of this game, not Medal of Honor. Currently, Medal of Honor and Call of Duty Black Ops have the same Metacritic rating at 88. He said the following, 
we knew we were building on the Unreal Graphics technology for Medal of Honor, which wasn't our foot forward tagged. We knew that going in. Our next game, Battlefield 3, is being built on the second generation of Frostbite, which I think is, at least in my opinion, a class act for first-person shooters. I think we're going to lift the game pretty dramatically in the first-person shooter category. Looking into next year, he said the following, I have great expectations to do a lot better in 2011 than in 2010 on the strength of a couple of products like Bulletstorm and Crisis 2, but most importantly for us, Battlefield 3, which I feel incredibly good about. You know, this fucking guy, every week, he continues to cite, you know, Bad Company 2 as a better game than Medal of Honor. Medal of Honor was your newest game. Last time I, I cited this guy, he said that Medal of Honor sucked. He wasn't impressed. So how do you sit here and when told about doing better, your response is make a better game? Any fucking asshole can answer that. Why don't you admit to the fact that the game that you put out, Medal of Honor, was unpolished and could have been a lot better, but you wanted to blow your load so quick to fucking compete against Black Ops that you wanted to be first out of the gate, and for what? For what? Black Ops came out later, is a better fucking title, has sold a shit ton of units, and has a better Metacritic score. And people like it. That's what bugs me about EA. They, they fucking feel that just on name recognition alone, they have the world by the balls, which is stupid. You really got to look at your franchises and wonder. Yeah, Activision has a lot of momentum, but you got to think about it. Activision is also taking their time and putting out Good quality games. Black Ops is a good game. I haven't played it personally, but one of my buddies brought it over. I watched them play it. I was like, wow, the graphics on this are fucking disgusting. And the play mechanics are really good, and the matchmaking is nice. You know, making your own emblems and your own badges, customizing your soldier, that, that's fucking great shit. How do you sit there as an executive, as a CEO, and your excuse to be your, your rationale for being successful is just making a better game? and making a better one. You know, make five better games to be better than the one game that's whooping your ass. That is a stupid assertion and a really terrible way of looking at it. What you should do is go back to the drawing board and say, what does Black Ops do better than our games? And start from there. Disassemble your engine and start from the ground up. Don't blame, you know, the Unreal Engine for your game sucking a steaming pile of shit. Don't do that. Don't, don't, don't fucking expect people to eat up the fact that you guys put out a subpar game. It's stupid. And I, and I love, you know, just, you know, referencing what he says because it, it's, it's, it's ass backwards. His logic is beyond stupid that he'd sit there and say, yeah, you know, we got to just make a better game and we'll do better. It, 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 uh, fucking five-year-olds make up better excuses for soiling themselves. Are you kidding me? Make a better game. You know, next year we want to ship a game that's rated a 90, and we want their game to be an 85. Really? That's what you want? Why don't you, add, why don't you say, I want my game to be a 95 or higher, and any game that doesn't meet that criteria, we are not going to release. How is that? What kind of quality control do you have when you're, when you're settling for a 90? 
That's like me telling you guys, I want to give you three hours of radio, but I'm only going to talk for one, and then for the other fucking two remaining hours, you're just going to hear silence. The fuck, man? Turn it the fuck up. You're, you're a multi-million dollar company. You've got the technology. You've got the development teams. You've got the fucking knowledge to make better games. Buy yourselves a copy of fucking Black Ops or whatever game is whooping your ass and see what they're doing better. You know? Battlefield Bad Company and 1 and 2 are great games. They are. And yeah, they got the nice little 88 Metacritic, and that's good. But you know what? The fact that you have to cite Battlefield Bad Company 2 as the game that you want to measure up against Black Ops, is, is, it's insulting to the team that worked on Medal of Honor. Imagine those developers that sat there and put all this work in there, and the CEO of your company says that your work sucked ass. Where was the quality control? In the toilet. Moving on. This year's Grammys will have a first. Uh, Christopher Tins' Baba Yedu has been nominated for Best Instrumental Arrangement Accompanying Vocalist Category. The track is featured in Civilization IV. Video Games Live has used the song for a while now, and executive producer Tommy Talarico told Joystick recently that this is the first time a song from a game has been nominated for a Grammy. Um, let me tell you guys this. I've played a lot of great games with a lot of beautiful and fantastic music, great scores, and kick-ass soundtracks, and I'm shocked that some of these games haven't had any sort of a presence in a Grammy category. Just because there's games that have beautiful music, beautiful fucking music. Final Fantasy is a, is a great example of kick-ass music. Even Prototype, which I was playing recently, has really great moody music that fits the, the genre. It fits the nature of the game. And to see a, a video game being nominated for a Grammy is kick-ass for sure. But the fact that this is the first time it's happened, considering how many great games have come out, and that's, that's some sad shit, man. Because there's so many, there are really a ton of games out there that have such great music. Moving on, I actually put this on the Facebook fan page earlier this week. IGN and GameStop have announced a partnership today. Great. The cooperation will add IGN ads to GameStop.com along with editorial content. IGN.com will then get a plethora of GameStop.com e-commerce buttons. The biggest thing to happen out of this will be the merger of traffic. Currently, GameStop has 7.2 million unique visitors a month, and IGN gets 28.9 visitors per month. Of course, a lot of things will come up from this. What happens with Game Informer, which is a competitor of IGN? What happens with the, to, the director drive outlet that IGN uses? Where do we go with that? Look, IGN, it's a decent site. It is. Decent site. I've read it. They do some cool stuff. They cover comics and they do cool shit. But again, they have a lot of fluff in there. They got some pieces that are written that I, that I just can't believe are written. There, there's definitely a lot of, of articles I've read that definitely have that fanboy agenda, that fucking, you know, swallowing the corporate load. You can see it. You can see some of those articles. Oh my God! Fucking PlayStation Three is fucking fantastic, and blah blah blah. And Xbox Three Sixty is beautiful, and they're great, great. Call it like you see it. Stop worrying about being accepted. When you have twenty-eight point nine million unique visitors, you can say that a shitty game sucks. You can accept it, embrace it, and and do it. 
if a game comes through across your desk that is utter shit, then acknowledge it as such. Hey, this game blows. You know, that's one thing I don't like about IGN. I think IGN merging with GameStop in terms of of, part, of content delivery, I, it's fine. You know, if you use GameStop.com, I can honestly tell you I've never, ever, ever gone to GameStop.com. Ever. I barely go to their fucking stores as it is because of their fucking fuckery and shenanigans that they pull. And I've talked to quite a few GameStop employees, and they have their own horror stories. But even still, same thing with IGN. IGN has 28.9 million viewers a month. You read a lot of their articles, and especially reviews. There's some of their reviews that I read them, and I wonder how the fuck somebody approved that shit to be printed. Because it's like, that's why it's good? Because of, you know, because the colors are pretty? Are you kidding? Like, shit like that. You know, as of late, they, they've improved and they've definitely stepped their game up. I will tell you, they do a really good job covering comics. They do a really good job covering certain gadgets. But their video game coverage, just, it, it, it's, it's not that great. It, it's, I don't know. And, and for them to, to, to make their whole big thing with, game, with GameStop such a big deal, it's like taking two fat chicks and merging them together and you get a chubby chick with a pretty face. That's what it is. You take two ugly fat chicks, you mush them together, and then you get a chunky chick with a pretty face. That's what you're getting. You're getting a chunk. IGN and GameStop are the chunky chick with the pretty face. They offer you decent content, maybe one or two things you'll need, but in the end, there's a lot of motherfuckers that don't like them. It's what it is. Of course, this Saturday is the Video Games Awards on Spike TV. Um, Slick and I, or Slick or myself, depending on how it goes, will probably be doing a live chat during the event. Um, you can go into mytakeradio.com slash forums and join the chat. Um, we're just going to be discussing what goes on during the event. And we may even keep the chat open through the UFC event as well. We'll see how that unfolds. But um, Neil Patrick Harris is hosting it. Uh, some of the guests you'll expect to see are Danny DeVito, Caitlin Olsen, um, Rob McElhinney from Always Sunny in Philadelphia. You're going to have Guillermo del Toro, Nathan Fillion, Chris Hemsworth, Tony Hawk. You're going to see previews for Arkham City, Drake's Uncharted 3, uh, Mass Effect 3. You're going to see all that shit there. Um, we may even get to see some Mortal Kombat stuff, which, of course, I discussed earlier this week about Kratos appearing on the PS3 version. Um, my favorite, favorite uh, buddy, Cliffy B, has gone on record saying that he'd like to see Marcus Phoenix in the 360 version of Mortal Kombat. Why? I don't think it would work just because he doesn't fit. Kratos kind of fits because you could do a couple of different things. You could do, do a gate to Outworld that opened in ancient Greece. You can do shit like that. Prototype 2, of course, you're going to see at the, at the VGA Awards as well. Thanks for the reminder, Slick. Um, here's the thing. The VGA Awards are great, I, I'm really, and I'll tell you why they're great. They're great just because it gives um, the video game audience something else besides G4. It gives you something else. That's really it. I really don't like the fact that games that are three weeks old are nominated in certain categories, just because there's other games that have come out during the year that are just as good. 
But you got to also take into account that at the end of the day, it's all about money and getting eyes on the fucking screens. So if you're saying that Madden is up for best sports game of the year, I don't know why, but you have to say it because you want Madden fans to look. I understand the money aspect of shit, but I just don't like when certain ga- you know, when games that haven't even done a, a whole year cycle or even six month cycle are in these categories. But you know, we'll definitely be doing the live chat and discuss some of that stuff over the course of the broadcast. So definitely keep an eye out for that. Um, when the chat goes live, I'll make an announcement on the Facebook fan page or on Twitter, or both, and um, you can hear our thoughts while we live chat. So you can definitely come into the forums, join the forums if you haven't, and stick around and join the chat. Definitely be able to talk to some of the other MTR listeners and you know just exchange ideas and shit on some of the stuff that happens during the VGA, uh, the Video Game Awards on Spike. I see we have... Uh, Callers on the board. Slick, what do you got, my friend? What's up, man? <clears throat> What's going on, dude? Um, I was going back to when you were talking about, like, you know, video game music being on par with, or, you know, sometimes even better than movie music and why it never gets any recognition as far as, like, any kind of music awards, especially something like the Grammys or something. You mentioned, like, um, Final Fantasy. Like, Nobuo Uematsu has done the music for most of the Final Fantasy games. Not all of them, but it's like that dude has gotten no props for that as far as any kind of award ceremonies. And it's like, like you said, the music has been better than a lot of movies. It's like stuff that could be in movies, and it's like, they just ignore it. I don't understand. Uh, you know, I definitely don't understand why they don't look at that medium because animated movies, you know, animated movies get just as much recognition and games are definitely an extension of that. And I really would like to see that happen. Just because, like I said, so many games put out such great music that it really is a, a disservice to not see them get honored and recognized. I mean, one of the things that I kind of give Spike TV props for is for their Scream Awards where they talk about comics and stuff like that because those are mediums and art forms that aren't seen by the, by the general public as often as they should be. And there's a lot of great stuff in there. So I've seen great writing in comics that's on par with some of the great books that you can buy at your local Barnes & Noble. You know, if you look at a, at a, at a show like Walking Dead, which – has, which was cited from a, from a comic, you, you wouldn't think it. But there's deep storytelling, there's engaging characters. Why can't music be looked at the same way? You know, why is it always got to be just what's on movies? Games have great scores. Great, great scores. Exactly. I mean, like you mentioned, Prototype, like, after I sat and watched you play Prototype the other day, it was like, I picked up the game again after not well I, I did finish it but after not playing it for a year now I'm insanely playing it on hard because once you get to the end like even normal is not anywhere near easy in that game but 
So I guess I'm just going to punish myself. But I'm waiting for the, the next installment of that, not only because they had a great story, but the music was crazy. And I think you just give props to freaking Spike because, I mean, of your, your love for MMA. And I can't, you know, I can't knock you for that, but fuck Spike. And fuck the Spike Video Game Awards. I'm watching that shit just to, you know, because we're going to do commentary for it. But any fucking show that ever gave Madden the game of the year, yeah, fuck Spike. Well, you know what? I, and, you know, I, I can definitely see the merits in that. But the way I look at it is like this. Part of that is money. And that's what I was saying earlier. The part, all these award shows, it's all about money. It's all about exposure. It's all about getting eyes on their products. It's the same thing with the Scream Awards. While even though they honor you know, graphic novels and comic books and movies, one of the biggest selling points is Hollywood showing off trailers for flicks that you know, the geek community is excited about. That, that's the way it is. And the VGA Awards are the equivalent of that. Because you've got to look at it from the fact that you're showing Arkham City. Besides the fact that Arkham City would sell a shit ton of units anyway, the fact that you give it a great trailer is going to get the buzz rampant on the web. Same thing with Uncharted 3. What, they're dropping little bits of information here and there. All I read on Twitter is about people looking forward to Uncharted 3, especially because it's going to be in the almighty 3D, you know? But Mass Effect 3, you know, which is going to have multiplayer, which I'm going to be discussing later on in the in the in the broadcast, you know, things like that, those are things that you can release shit like that on the Internet and say, hey, you know, we got this great game coming out. You can put trailers out on the Internet, but the viewing potential on television is exponential just because word of mouth will travel and you can call somebody, yo, man, look at fucking Batman. Everybody DVR shit, you know? Well, that is true. i got to still disagree with you, especially with what you said about the geek community, yeah, you can put something like an Arkham City trailer or Mass Effect 3 or anything like that on these Spike Awards, but the geek community, I mean, look at us. You said it yourself, there's DVR. Most of us, like, you know, you and I specifically, but, you know, it can be said for just about anybody in the, that's, that's in the chat or anybody that we associate with, yeah, we do watch TV, but we catch a lot of shit on on the the rebound. We catch a lot of DVR, and most of the stuff that we would think of, most of our, our geekness, we get that shit on the internet. We don't go to fucking Spike for that shit. So once again, fuck Spike. I mean, it is all about money, and it's funny that you would say that. You know, you, you give Spike a little bit of props. But then you shit on GameStop and IGN, which I also shit on GameStop and IGN, but it's the same shit. It's it's not in part about money. It's all about money. And that's well, part of why I say... Go ahead, go ahead. No, go ahead, man. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. Finish your thought. That's part of why I say fuck Spike, because when they put out a VGA award, it's not it's not remotely about quality. It's about money. Yep. That's true. I can't. I can't disagree there. But here's here's where where I, I'll I'll break it down. Why why certain shit I don't like and why certain shit I do like. And I, and I'll I'll break it down 
my way, and of, and of course, you know, you're entitled to disagree. Going going down the list, we take a, we we take G4 first. We know all about G4's wonderful programming and their offerings to the geek community. And you know, you it's 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 eighty percent bullshit, twenty percent useful shit. Then you go up the list to some, uh, you know, to GameStop. You know, they're a fucking scumbag real real. You know, they're they're a scumbag retailer. Their site is complete horseshit. Then they merged with IGN, which is all right. But you know what? The IGN content, you can get it better delivered elsewhere, which is true. Then you move up the ladder, you go to Spike. Spike gets more love for me, and I'll tell you why, just because of what they do for the sport of MMA and gaming comes second. When I think Spike, I think of motherfuckers getting punched in the face and wrestling. The video games are an afterthought. So, you know, I, I respect that. They're trying to do something, but, but dude, I know it's totally agenda-driven, and trust me, they're not getting fan points from me for doing something for the gaming community because it's going to be a two-hour-long commercial for every game that's come out in the last three weeks. I know that, and I've come to that realization. My only thing that I admire the network for is for what they've done to the sport of MMA and bringing it to the mainstream and giving TNA a viable option to present itself. Not only that, but, you know, they got a couple of programs I kind of like, you know. But doing great things for gaming, hell no. All it's doing is just, like I said, it's a two-hour-long commercial, which is one of the reasons why I want to kind of do the live chat, because there's going to be a lot of fucking shenanigans and a lot of bullshit that we're going to see that, you know, it's it's to be expected. It's it's a two-hour commercial. I, I accept that shit for what it is. But, the caliber of programming is, is a little, a, a smidgen better on the overall network than, say, a G4. I'm not, I'm not sanctifying Spike at all, but I respect what they've done for certain interests I have. Gaming, it's a fucking commercial, dude. It is. It fucking is. All right, let me, let me just slightly correct myself to make sure that I'm not misunderstood because I did say earlier that... <clears throat> Like, I, I know you give props to Spike because of MMA and things like uh, Deadliest Warrior. Let me right. just correct myself and say that when I say fuck Spike, I'm strictly talking about gaming. I'm not yep. talking about anything and, and, else. Oh, no, I got you. No, I got you. I got you 100%, I got you 100% dude, and that's what I'm saying. I When I said it, I just wanted to clarify it for the listening audience. I've sat here and watched plenty of shit with you on Spike regarding violence that's always great, and we enjoy it, and that's what we enjoy. But, dude, their, their gaming stuff, it, it, it's, it's so commercial. You know, it's so fluff-driven. And, 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 dude, you gotta, we got to call them out on that. And, and, it, and, I, and I want to, you know. I want to say, hey, you know, thanks for giving us a gaming award show, and it's great, and thanks a lot. But, you know, how are you nominating a game that came out a week ago, but, you know, you're not nominating games that have – have been consistently selling. They've been consistently good. And I guarantee you Epic Mickey wins something on that award show. But well, no, like, it's funny. It, there was actually a complaint. It, it's funny because there's a fan ballot that you can put in because people are complaining that Epic Mickey was omitted out of a lot of stuff. There was actually a big gripe about that. Mind you, the game just came out. Like the, a week but after Black Friday. Yep. But you know what's but, funny that there was 
there was a griping also based on the fact that, you know, Phil Spector was saying that, you know, his commentary about how, you know, people that are rating the game poorly are, are, are playing the game wrong. But the only thing I want to tell you is the following, and, I, and this, this is what I wanted to run by you. You take a category, let's just say game of the year. You got Call of Duty Black Ops. How long has Call of Duty Black Ops been out? Couple of a couple of months, maybe. Couple of couple of months. Then you got Gear, uh, God of War three, Halo Reach, Mass Effect two, and Red Dead Redemption. Those are your nominees for Game of the Year. Hey, Pretty Mass straightforward, right? Come out last year. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Like, like uh, the the nominees are, are are pretty straightforward. But then you go down the list and you look at say, yeah, I'll, use, I'll use a good example. If you look at best shooter, your best shooter nominees are Black Ops, Bioshock 2, Halo Reach, and Battlefield Bad Company 2. No harm in that. But there's other games that have come out that have been just as good. You know, like best driving game, you got Need for Speed Hot Pursuit, which is what, two weeks old? up against Split Second, Mod Nation, Racers, and Blur. Jesus Christ. How does that happen? How do you put Need for Speed? And again, Need for Speed Hot Pursuit, fun game. But why didn't you just make it Blur, Mod Nation, Racers, and Split Second? Did EA, did EA have to, you know, have to fucking get, get their baby in there? You know, and, and don't get me wrong. I don't mind Need for Speed. It's a great game, but let's call it like we see it. How are you going to put this in there for best racing game when Blur, Mod Nation Racers, and Split Second are more established titles? It's a given who the fuck is going to win. You know Hot Pursuit is going to probably fucking win that. I like how I was reading some reviews today. Like I was looking on Metacritic because I was debating whether or not I should try Need for Speed. And somebody called it Pole pole Position with Shining Graphics. I died. Wow. That's a that's a that's that's a bit much. Yeah, that's that's pretty fucking harsh, but I, I had to laugh at that. But it's like again I can I can shit on G four as well, but at least when a show like X Play, which is no only a shadow of its former self, does an award right. show, it's like they put on, like, a quality showing. Like, they give games that deserve the award for the categories they're in, and it's not games that came out, like, five minutes ago. Nope, you're right. But you know what? The, uh, you know, and DeSilva mentioned that in the chat. I'm surprised they didn't try and pull Gran Turismo 5 into best driving game. I am fucking shocked. I'm shocked. I, I am shocked that they didn't pull that. But I'm just bugged out that why didn't you just keep the field at three games, Blur, Mod Nation, Racers, and Split Second? Did you necessarily need four nominees? Is, 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 there, is there something in – is there an unwritten rule somewhere where you need fucking four games to nominate? You could have done three, and then I would have, I would have picked probably either Blur or – I mean, Mod Nation, Racers is fun. But I mean, in terms of graphics and, and enjoyable and you know an enjoyable factor, 
blur. It would have been either blur or or split second. Well, if you give me those four titles, I'd have to give it to Mod Nation Races just because Mod Nation Races has probably the most replayability because you can make your own tracks. Ah, I, you know what? That, that That's me being uninformed because, fuck, I didn't even know that. It's like Mod Nation Races, it's like, it's sort of like a 3D go-kart version of Excitebike. Because, like, you can make your own tracks, you can make your own terrain, you can make everything. And you can, like, it's like the racing version of Little Big Planet. Okay. You know, it, it's, uh, that's what bugs me. But, again, it, it's either we get nothing or we get something that's, that's shitty. That seems to be the, the trend. If, you know, we if we talk about this with G4. Either we get subpar programming or we get nothing. Same shit with with with, with gaming award shows and and award shows dedicated to our interests. It's like it's like movie awards for us are either for our generation are either the MTV awards or the fucking Scream award. You know, the Spike Scream awards. Neither of which are fucking great. Both of which are fucking commercials for 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 new shit. It is what it is, man. And like I said, I'll, I'll still be there Saturday to to joke with everybody and to rip on that dumbass show. But like I said, that's the only reason why I'm there because the show itself can kiss my ass. Dude, what last last year's show? I I DVR'd. I remember it like it was yesterday. I DVR'd it and I fast forwarded through almost half of the show. Because it was all, you know, just awkward segments and shitty segues. You know what I fast-forward through just to see the promos? You know, because Arkham Asylum was the promo, I think, for, for last year. You know, and shit like that. This year, it's going to be a lot of the same. People are going to tune in, and I've talked to a couple of people that are like, dude, I'm going to tune in because I want to see Arkham City and, you know, Mass Effect 3. The, one of the guys who I used to work with that I spoke to said that he wanted to see what they were going to do with, um, you know, if they were going to do anything with Halo. I'm like, dude, what? you just got Reach. Oh, you never know, man. They put, might put out some Halo shit. Like, that's the kind of shit I have to hear. That's the commentary I hear. Maybe there'll be another some Halo shit. All I give a shit about right now is finding out if Alex Mercer goes to the West Coast to find whatever little kid they were talking about in Prototype. And actually, I just got to apologize. I forgot you're still playing that shit. But no, it's it's fine because um, uh, I actually ended up sending it back for 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 a couple of other reasons. I got I got a, I got a little I got a little frustrated with one mission, and um, a controller paid the price. Wow. Um, so uh, I figured let me send it back, <laughs> and I'll re-rent it. But yeah. Um, so we'll see. We'll see what happens tomorrow. Um, before I let you go, uh, what do you think of? I wanted to ask you because I figured, especially because you play the fighting games on both consoles like I do, Kratos and Mortal Kombat. Kratos both makes sense in Mortal Kombat and would be too much because. Well, he's not in the story I mean, mode. He's only in verses. 
Yeah, but the thing is, with his freaking blades, it's just, like, not fair. And you can't take them away from him because they're freaking seared to his skin. This is true. I, they, but but you know they're probably they're probably gonna they're, they're probably gonna skewer that down a little bit because it's true. Kratos with the fucking blades, he, he he you beat the game with him without even breaking a sweat. So I'm sure they're gonna make some adjustments in terms of that. But what do you think of the fact that you know they want to do you know like a Master Chief or a Marcus Phoenix in the 360 version of Mortal Kombat? I think it makes no fucking sense at all because they don't fit in the genre. They're freaking soldiers. They run around shooting things, and it's like, even though there is a dude with a gun in in Mortal Kombat, that's like his fatality. And it's like, if you could take away the weapons from Kratos, he'd still murder everybody because he'd just jump on him and just... It'd basically be like an ultra-violent version of... Ground and pound in in UFC, except he literally be beating the shit out of people and tearing their limbs off. You know what I'd like to see, and and and, and it's not and it's not even a 360 exclusive character, but War from Darksiders would be good in that. War versus Kratos, I would pay money to see. You know, like something be, like that. That'd just be insanity. Yeah, you know, you do. You you could put a guy like War in there. You could put Bayonetta in there. You know, you can do stuff like that. If you're gonna do a character, at least find something that's either mystical or or something that that fits in. At least they didn't try to do something stupid and say they were gonna put Sackboy in Mortal Kombat. You know, because that's the kind of shit I've come to expect. Like when they put Link in Soul Calibur. That could be comical at least. But I mean, yeah, yeah. You, you put people that make sense in there, like. I mean, for one thing, well, I was going to say take a vote, but they no, because they exactly the same thing either. You'd have Master Chief and Marcus Phoenix in there, and they just don't fit in doing, like, Mortal Kombat. It's like, I understand doing the whole, what do you call it, Soul Calibur thing and, you know, taking flagship characters and stuff, but even with that, it made more sense because it's like they took Link and it's okay, Hachi, and then they just do it spawn for for good measure. But right. Those were characters, I mean, with the exception of spawn, I mean, actually, no, actually, with Nightmare in there, spawn still makes sense. But if you're going to do a game like Mortal Kombat and try to throw flagship characters in there, then I don't even think, I can't even think of, like, a proprietary Microsoft character that would fit in there. I mean, you well, you know what? Go ahead. I was going to say, you'd have to take somebody like Alex Mercer. That, you, you were reading my mind. I'd put Alex Mercer for, for Xbox 360, and I'd put in, the, the dude from Infamous on PS3. That would work. Yeah, but it's like I still would go more with Kratos than, than... Oh, yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. You could do more with Kratos, but I'm saying, like, if you wanted to add, like, something where you could throw them into the story mode, where, you know, an outworld portal opens up, you know, in the city for Infamous or opens up in the city for, for Alex Mercer and he gets dragged into the conflict while he's trying to stop the virus from spreading. You know what I mean? Like, like there's stories that you can kind of interweave in there. 
With Kratos, it's kind of difficult. That's why I think they, they just said, we'll put him in versus mode. But not for nothing, he couldn't fit in story mode because they don't say that gates to Outworld only open in modern times. It can open fucking, you know, in the past. Why not? Why not open a portal that you end up in the past? You know, throw some Quan Chi magic shit in there. Exactly. Why not? Some Quan Chi magic shit. All of a sudden, the, gate, the portals get fucked up. You open one up in ancient Rome. All of a sudden, you walk through. Kratos is killing fucking Zeus. And all of a sudden, you know, he's like, who are you? And, you know, you just go from there. My only thing with my only thing against Cole from Infamous is that it's like you already got Raiden and it's like it's basically Raiden all over again. True. But but I'm just looking at it from if you wanted to do it from a storyline standpoint. Like you can even if you wanted to do something stupid, you can make it that when Kratos crawled off the cliff at the end of God of War Three and he fell off, he fell through a portal and ended up in Outworld. Yeah, I guess that makes about as much sense as freaking MK versus DC. Exactly. MK versus DC was the same shit. Oh, my God, a, a portal opened the Metropolis. Oh, shit, you know? <laughs> That's what happened. That that was Mortal Kombat versus DC. It was a bunch of uninvited guests coming over for Thanksgiving, and you had to whoop their ass and throw them out. That's what the, Mortal Kombat versus DC is a dysfunctional Thanksgiving dinner. That's what that shit is. Well, I know I know people didn't like it. I mean, I, I found enjoyment in it for, for other reasons. But you know what? If you're going back to the original Mortal Kombat and you want to go back to the violence that made it the way it was, Kratos' character works. It, it, he's a violent, um, just, just, just visceral character. Fatalities for that would be sick. It would be sick. <laughs> he's got to at least have he's got to do a fatality where he fights the chicks and the screen goes dark and he rapes them or something like you got to do some shit like that you got to keep it real you got to keep you got to keep the roots there it's like because he's already done it in in freaking God of War exactly, like, you have, exactly. I'm saying when he fights Kintaro it's over it's over for Gitaro. He'll, like, freaking disembowel him and cut his horse legs off and shove him up his ass. Well, you know what would be good for that? And here's something that I'd like to see. Everybody's fatality should be done with directions, like usual, you know, like quarter circle and triangle. Kratos' fatality should be that you have to do a button sequence, like, in the game. That would, that would, be, that would be fucking sick. Because then it's like, oh, shit, you don't have to do the regular fatality. But, yeah, you have to do X, triangle, circle, move the analog stick to the left, and then hit circle again. I think people would like that, and it'll add a, an air of originality to the game. Yeah, but people are, people are like, back and forth with the, the whole button sequence things with, with Kratos anyway. Yeah, but, but at, least, at least you're acknowledging the source material in, in, in a different way. You know, it's not the typical stand by the guy's toes and hit forward, back, forward, down, and X. You know, you have to make sure you stand right here to the left. Like, it's like, come on, man. You know, with, with a guy like Kratos, you know, you can do some original shit. Why don't you make a fatality where fucking Pegasus flies down and fucking lands on you? 
but, but that's what I'm saying. Take advantage of the source material. Don't do some dumb shit. Like he should. Like Kratos should really be fucking some chicks. It's it's silly and it's such a it's such a nerdy geeky thing to say, but it should be that you fight Sonya Blade. That screen goes dark, and they tell you to wiggle the fucking analog sticks. And when the screen goes back up, she's fucking dead. Period. That's what like Matt Kratos' moves would be like. Be like um, PG, even in freaking Baybally and friendship. It's like a freaking Pegasus stomps the shit out of somebody. You see a double rainbow. They're like friendship. <laughs> you know, but, but that's what I'm saying. Like, like have fun with the character, but don't strip away the character's identity. Like that's one thing that I kind of respected in Mortal Kombat versus DC, where the hero that didn't kill didn't kill, but the but the villain they would kill a motherfucker. Like I like that. I I like that that they that they acknowledge the fact that you know Batman didn't kill anybody, so he couldn't do a fatality, or Superman couldn't kill anybody. You know, like like shit like that is what I'm saying. Like you know, you pick out those little things and you build around that. Like Deathstroke should be killing people. The Joker should be killing people. Lex Luthor as well. And and that's the way it should be in regards to Mortal Kombat, if you're going to go that way and you're going to take a guy like Kratos or you're going to take a guy like Marcus Phoenix, if Marcus Phoenix is in the game, I need, somebody's ass better get sliced in half with a chainsaw bayonet. Period. Yeah, but that's all you, you really know? have here. There's either the, the chainsaw freaking dissection or the, the freaking hammer of dawn. It's like, that's it. Yeah, a hammer or dawn fatality would be cool, you know, that you can do some shit like that. Or you can, you know, you can make it that he throws something on you and a brumac fucking comes out and shoots you or some shit, you know? The, the, the possibilities are there. I'm just concerned that they're going to take these characters and they're just going to be like, fuck, what do we do now? Which is kind of what happened with Marvel versus DC with some of those characters. Some of them, they use them and it's like, fuck, what do we do with them? Like Wonder Woman. Like, all right, she has a lasso, she throws it around, what now? Wonder Woman should have been like Kratos in that game because she beats the shit out of people. Exactly. But but that's what I'm saying. That, that's when you dive into into this material and you pluck out these characters and you go, fuck, what now? It's the same thing with Master Chief. You're talking about a guy that's wearing a cybernetic suit. He's basically, why don't you just pallet swap fucking Cyrax and Sector? and you'll get fucking Master Chief, because that's how silly that would be. I don't know. I think, I really think, I still think Mortal Kombat is way past its time. It is way, it's way past its prime, but you know what? If you're going to do it, at least go out guns blazing, and don't go out with weak entries. Like, Mortal Kombat versus DC was... Okay, but if that's going to be the last game of your fucking franchise, you should be ashamed of yourselves. That's all I'm saying. If you're going to end the franchise, at least end it with a game that, you know, the Metacritic score is like at least 80, you know, or, 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 or 85. Like, hey, this game was decent. And leave it at that. But don't, don't fucking go out with a whimper. Go out fucking guns blazing. I think for them to freaking to... I don't even. I can't even say it. To, for them to score eighty or better, they'd have to like add a whole bunch of competitive like online modes and like just 
they they try too hard with the story mode. It's like the whole yeah, Mortal the Kombat missiles is just, it's like, who cares? Dude, I read the Mortal Kombat missiles and I get a fucking migraine. Because it's like Shao Kahn and Shang Tsung and Quan Chi and Hop Singh and fucking this guy. And this guy trapped this guy. And, sh- and you know, Sub-Zero's brother, sister's nephew's cousin killed Scorpion's brother. But, you know, Scorpion's bad. But Scorpion lives next door to Sub-Zero's new brother and their friends. Like, who gives a shit? Who? Who gives a fuck? Who gives a fuck if it's Sub-Zero with the scar, without the scar, with breast implants, with hemorrhoids? Who gives a shit? It's fucking stupid. I hate when they go super, super deep with it. It's like, fuck, man. Shao Kahn and Queen Sindel, and Sindel was really Katana's mother, but Shao Kahn tapped that ass and made her hair white, and all of a sudden she's bipolar and fucked up. But, you know, Katana likes fucking walking around in a fucking, in a unitard with a fan on, and she doesn't get cold. Like, shit like that, you know? It's like, who cares? Who gives a shit? Like, the original story was great. Whole bunch of people that are great in their disciplines get dragged to an island, straight up enter the dragon, and you fight this old man, you fight fucking Lopan from Big Trouble in Little China, who tries to become young, which is pretty much the same shit. Mortal Kombat is Big Trouble in Little China and Bloodsport rolled into one. With a little bit of Golden Child. With a little bit of Golden Child, that's right. But, dude, Big Trouble in Little China and fucking... Because you look at, at old Shang Tsung, it's fucking low pan. And, you know, you, you, look at, you look at the game, it, it's pretty much, you know, it's pretty much Enter the Dragon. Johnny Cage was both Roper and, the fucking, and, and Jim Kelly. You know your series is fucked when you kill the main character and nobody cares. Yep, Liu Kang died, and then they're like, fuck, what now? And then next game, oh, you get zombie Liu Kang. Really? You get zombie, zombie Liu Kang? What if, the, what if the cop shoots zombie Liu Kang in the head? Do you need him in the game anymore? He's fucking dead. It's, uh, we, we can beat this up, dude, but there's fucking four Chris, Chris Redfield kills Liu Kang again. It, dude, Liu Kang is back. Nobody cares. It's like, it's like, like, I don't mind the Mortal Kombat game because I always appreciate another fighting game. It's just, it's just in my nature. But it's like, please, please, please take, strip all that extra shit out and just keep it real simple. Real fucking simple. Shao Kahn gets pissed, opens a gate, motherfuckers hop through, people get together to fuck them up, roll the credits. That's it. I don't want to know about Sub-Zero's brother, his mother, his sister, Scorpion's gay roommate. I, I don't give a shit. Why Kano has a robotic eye? I don't care. I don't. I don't care if Sonya Blade's cousin is dead, her brother's dead, her partner's Don't give a fuck. Keep it simple, stupid. I'm hearing the freaking the, the Mortal Kombat announcer say all this shit. And yeah, it's just hysterical. Like, fuck his mother. Fuck his brother. Just fight. That's it. Exactly. Just, uh, we'll see what happens, dude. Fuck it. They got 50 minutes left, and we still got movies to go through. All right, man. <laughs> all right, man. I'll catch you on. Yeah, no, I'll catch you on the flip side. I'm sure you're, you're going to call in for some of the other stuff. 
I like that. Our conversation to Kratos goes right into why Mortal Kombat's story is complete shit. Why don't they just take a fucking... They should just take the plot from fucking Three's company and have Shao Kahn living in an apartment with Katana, Jade, and fucking Sonya. And fucking the, J- Jack's, roommate, Jack's buddy should be played by Shang Tsung. And I think it would be far more entertaining than the fucking Mortal Kombat story. Just do Three's company with Mortal Kombat characters. Ugh. Moving on. The X-Men arcade game, which I've actually been looking very forward to playing, will be coming out on the PlayStation Network on December 14th and on Xbox Live Arcade December 15th. You'll be able to play it with... uh, I've been hearing you'll be able to do co-op online with both PSN and Xbox Live, so keep an eye out for that next week. Xbox Live Arcade and PSN will both be getting it. Got these MPD numbers. Some things just don't surprise me, and I'm sure you guys are going to get a kick out of these numbers. Um, November 2010 was the best November on record in terms of physical retail sales, topping the highest, the next highest November, which was in 2008, by about $30 million. Let's go through some hardware first. Microsoft sold 1.3 million units, leading all consoles in sales and making it the biggest November ever for Microsoft. In fact, 50% of all retail spending in November was for the 360 which is insane. The 360 was the only console to show double-digit year-to-date growth at 42%. A lot of this is being attributed to the Kinect release, which sold 2.5 million units. In addition to that, moving into the games, you know, Black Ops was number, the number one best-selling game on all consoles, 360, PS3, Wii, PC, and DS. Number two was Assassin's Creed Brotherhood, Number three was Just Dance for the Wii. Well, Just Dance 2, I should say. Number four was Madden NFL 2011. How the fuck that's still selling? I have no idea. Fable 3 was number five. Donkey Kong Country Returns was number six. Need for Speed Hot Pursuit was number seven. Gran Turismo was number eight. NBA 2K11 was number nine. And Wii Fit Plus was number ten. In addition to that... Handheld sales were down this November from last November, but the DS remained the top-selling console, with the Mario Red DSi XL selling the most units. Over 1.5 DS units were sold. Nice numbers, man. You know, in a way, it kind of gives hope in regards to the economy. I know a lot of people, you know, are definitely dealing with the, with the tightened economic situations out there. But you know what? Seeing this kind of put the smile on my face, because it shows that people are actually spending money and they're helping the economy move forward. I mean, Microsoft is an American company, and the fact that they have the highest double-digit growth is, is, is a nice thing to see for sure. I think, um, you know, it's a step in the right direction. I, I know that the MPD numbers are always looked at to gauge sales and, you know, to look at what the best-selling consoles are, but I also like looking at them because it shows where the shift is in terms of where we as Americans are spending our money. The fact that there are 1.3 million Xbox 360 units sold means that more people have a lot less reservations in parting with $300. And you know what? That's not a bad thing. To wrap up the video game news for you PlayStation 3 owners, you'll be getting Mass Effect 2 January 21st. Uh, The release is going to include plenty of bonus content as well as an interactive comic to fill players in on the first game. 
Like I said earlier in the broadcast, Mass Effect 3 will be revealed this Saturday at the Video Game Awards. Not only that, but Mass Effect 3 will be a first, the, fir- the first in the series to include multiplayer, which is a first for the entire Mass Effect universe. A little bit of multiplayer action for sure to round it out. That's going to close out the video game news. I'm not going to take a quick, I'm not going to take a commercial break. Let's jump right into the movies because we got 45 minutes left. First off, Pirates of the Caribbean on Strange Ties is in post-production, but according to HitFix, it seems that Disney is not done with the franchise yet. Disney wants to do a Pirates of the Caribbean 5 and 6, and allegedly they have quietly informed the cast and crew that they need to be ready to set aside a major block of time in the very near future so they can shoot them back-to-back. The only stumbling block in that theory is Johnny Depp, who is going to be doing Dark Shadows and The Lone Ranger in 2011. More Pirates of the Caribbean, especially if they keep doing the money the way they are. Disney's definitely not going to let that go, not by a long shot. DreamWorks Animation is also fucking cranking out sequels, with sequels for Madagascar, Kung Fu Panda, and How to Train Your Dragon. Madagascar 3 will be coming out May 18, 2012. The fourth and final film will be released shortly thereafter. The third film is going to be bringing the animals back to New York, where they started. Kung Fu Panda 2 will be released May 27, 2011. As of right now, there are plans to make a total of six Kung Fu Panda films for the franchise. Last but not least, How to Train Your Dragon 2 will be out in 2013. They're going to do one more movie, but it could be as many as eight chapters. So keep an eye out for that in the near future. DreamWorks definitely jumping on all those properties and making as much money as they can. In some TV news, of course, those of you that watch the CW, um, you know, one of the shows on there is on its way out, that being Smallville. DC is actually considering focusing on a new live-action TV series to fill in the void based on the Teen Titans character Raven. Right now the show is in the early stage of development and is being eyed as a potential replacement for Smallville once it goes off the air. Raven is a half-human, half-demon character who took the name Rachel Roth and joined the Teen Titans. She can mentally project and teleport her soul away from her body as well as make use of empathic powers to read other beings' minds. Honestly, I think that focusing on this one character and using it to make a show is not going to work, especially a character so obscure as Raven. Definitely not a fan of that. Honestly, and it's a, it's a total long shot, and I don't think DC is going to do it. But why not do a young Batman? Why not do that? Why not do a young Nightwing? Do episodes of Nightwing and, you know, kind of have Batman mentioned but never shown. Like, oh, you know, you know, have Nightwing patrolling in Bloodhaven. And, you know, you can kind of reference Batman. But why don't you do a young Batman? I think that if you do that, I've never seen a young Batman series done other than, you know, the animated ones. A live-action series I think would be great, and I think it would build the building blocks for the final Dark Knight Rises film. I don't know, man. I don't know why DC is so hesitant to do that. I think a, a, a Batman TV series would be watched by a lot of people. You can even tie it in with Smallville a little bit in the sense that you can have Tom Welling appear. Superman, you can do a lot of shit. You can introduce your own interpretations of, of Batman's rogues gallery, uh, characters like the Joker, Killer Croc, Catwoman, Harlequin, all those characters can be done for the small screen. You just got to tweak them a little bit. But with good writing, a Batman TV series would fucking rock, man. I think it would fucking do a killing on the CW. But you know what? We want to go with 
Raven, so we'll see how it pans out. And some box office totals, something that I never expected to read happened. Tangled, which was number two last week, moved up to number one and outsold Harry Potter this week. And Tangled brought in $21.5 million, beating Harry Potter, which brought in 16.7. Burlesque was number three. Unstoppable was number four. Love and Other Drugs was five. Megamind was six. Due Date was seven. Faster was eight, which I actually want to see. The Warrior's Way is nine, which I heard was fucking shitty, but I want to see it because Cowboys versus Ninjas is definitely something I'm interested in seeing. And uh, the next three days was number ten. I actually want to reference something that Handel mentioned in regards to why they won't do a, a Batman show. It's because there's no teen angst in Batman. And I, he, he does have a point, but you know what? Why not? Why not create your own teen angst and start with a, with a younger Batman? Put him in college. Put him in college. Do something like that. Why don't you do a show told from Robin's perspective? Keep Batman in there as a secondary character and, you know, add a little bit of interaction, but keep Robin as a separate character and do something built around Robin, like I said, or around Nightwing. Take advantage of that Batman property that's so, that's so rich in storytelling. I mean, you can even do, and, and it won't work, but you can even do a live-action Batman Beyond. Why not? Do a Batman Beyond, do that shit, and there's your teen angst. Terry McGinnis was a young dude. He was in school. He was trying to fill the shoes in a Batman. You can do a lot with that, too. But to, to go that route, if you're going to do something about the Teen Titans, make it about all of them. Don't make it just about one. You know how much teen angst you can put with a team of super-powered teenagers? That's enough to fill in fucking at least two years of fucking programming right there. But guess that's not going to be the move. Last bit of movie news to wrap it up. Um, according to a local paper called The Record out of Troy, New York, they're saying that they're scouting areas for potential uh, scenes for Iron Man 3. Iron Man 3 is rumored to be taking place after the Avengers and Captain America and Thor. Iron Man 3 wouldn't start shooting till after 2012. As of right now, the rumor seems to indicate that the Mandarin will finally be a villain in the Iron Man movie universe. The Walking Dead, of course, closed out its last episode for the season this past Sunday, and boy, did it do some great numbers. The Walking Dead season finale scored the series' highest rating yet for a Sunday night. Six million viewers tuned in for the show's sixth episode, including four million adults, eight ages 18 to 49. That's a 9% increase from last week. 2.1 million people more watched the encore viewing. AMC has gone on record as saying that the series is now the most watched basic cable series in, the young adult, in their young adult demo of all time. And to wrap things up, the Twilight Saga Eclipse was the number one selling Blu-ray and DVD for the week ending December 5th, even though it ended up in stores on that midnight Friday instead of on a Tuesday with 3 million DVDs and Blu-ray discs sold in the first two days. That's some serious shit. Fucking Twihards, man. They fucking eat that shit up. Sparkly vampires and llama-faced werewolves. The fucking move, it seems. But you know what, folks? That's going to wrap things up for My Take Radio for this week. Again, if you are entering the Splatterhouse contest, make sure to forward your entries to mtrhost at gmail.com. 
I'll be placing the entries on our Facebook fan page, and you can look for those in the photo gallery. You can see the two entries that are in there now. And, of course, if you'd like to comment on them, by all means, feel free. A couple of plugs i got to get out of the way. Uh, Shout-out to RazorClothing.tv. That's Razor Ross Company, BeantownGamer.com, SuperheroStuff.com, GamerWave.com, um, MMA Gospel, of course. Their show Wednesdays, 8.30 on the Blog Talk Radio Network. Uh, big thanks to De Silva for being a good guest uh, to break down the MMA fights that happened this past weekend. Of course, you can check out De Silva, De Silva MMA's work on Twitter. Well, you should, you can actually check out De Silva's work on MMA Gospel, and you can follow De Silva on Twitter at De Silva MMA on Twitter. So check him out, say what's up, say you listen to my take radio. I'm sure he'd uh, love to hear from you. So look him up there as well. Of course, shout-out to MMAValor.com and the This Week in Wrestling podcast for um, our recent content partnerships. Thank you guys for providing great content these last few weeks. And, of course, I look forward to more content in the near future, one of which is an upcoming review I am going to be doing for the EA Sports MMA game. Um, That review actually will be on MyTakeRadio.com as well as on MMAValor.com in the near future. So keep an eye out for that. Of course, Darksiders, they're working on Darksiders too. Shout out to Hayden Dalton. You can follow him on Twitter, at Hayden Dalton. And, of course, Darksiders.com. The VGN Radio crew, always supportive of My Take Radio. You can go to VGNRadio.com for their show schedules. And, of course, Don Anderson's Tumbling with Tumbleweed, which um, this week celebrated the departure of Don's broadcast colleague, Jason Korber who will be relocating to Florida. Definitely best of luck to Jason. Uh, Don Anderson will be doing probably uh, either Skype or running it solo. Don Anderson also made his return to stand-up, so definitely wishing Donnie the best of luck. You can check out his show Tuesdays at 10 p.m. on the Block Talk Radio Network. Of course, you can check out Soiled slash Blaine at BornStubberRadio.com. Check out their kick-ass podcast that they put out. They don't even have a schedule. just... Subscribe on iTunes or go to BornStubberRadio.com for more show information. OC Remix for their kick-ass music, which there will be some new music being debuted next week. MMAJunkie.com, Film Drunk, of course, for their great movie news. 411 Mania as well. With that, you've just heard My Take Radio episode 69 for Thursday, December 9th, 2010. Again, if you want to email your entries, mtrhost at gmail.com. Fan mail, questions, concerns, or if you'd like to be a guest, mtrhost at gmail.com or mtrhost at mytakeradio.com are the email addresses. Of course, the MTR staff is on Twitter. You can follow myself at Akuma25. That's my personal account. Or you can follow the show account at mytakeradio. The MTR staff is also online. Andrea is at AndreaMTR. Um, Anthony is at Ant. MTR Slick is MTR Slick on Twitter, so you can follow any of us. Of course, let us know what you think of all the work that MTR does, and feel free to follow all our crazy-ass rants and other shit on Twitter. Of course, if you still use MySpace, which has become a fucking wasteland, we are on MySpace as well. It's myspace.com slash mytakeradio, and of course, the Facebook fan page. Well on our way to 550 fans. Will you be number 550? Click that like button and show your support. Facebook.com slash MyTakeRadio. With that, I will catch you guys next Thursday 
Thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for your support. I'm out. Peace. Taking taking us out this week will be the Super Street Fighter 4 outro by Pixie Tricks and Zircon. You can download that at ocremix.org. Later.